Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. What is up, Gypsy Gang? Before we get into this episode of the podcast, have to give a massive shout out to our awesome sponsors that keep the power on in Gypsy Gang Studios. Firstly, I need to give a big shout out to our friends at Nobby for keeping keeping the kids in their seat, keeping the uh, twig and berries in the fruit basket. These guys have been a sponsor now for a little bit and I'm really starting to, I guess, see the value in wearing super high quality underwear all the time. And when I started the deal with these guys, it was really just because I liked the brand and the vibe. And I think they stand for the same things that that we do here. But over time, I've really begun to appreciate the product and the quality. And I just never really thought I was going to care that much about my underwear as I do now. Um, I've just hit the tipping point of not having any other underwear. Um, I went and ordered some extras the other day so that now I don't actually have to wear anything other than Nobby. Um, I've said it before in the, in the ads, but my preferred one is the long leg. Um, I just feel like that keeps me covered in like all situations. Um, whether it's training for jujitsu, surfing, mountain biking or racing, uh, right. I don't really race anymore. I can't really claim that. I just say riding when I'm riding motocross, um, that cut for me just keeps everything pretty well where it needs to be. It is super, super easy to join the Nobby Nation. It's just 20 bucks a month for a fresh pair of duds delivered to your door. Uh, it's super easy to cancel that subscription if you would be crazy enough to do such a thing. Uh, head to nobby.com.au and give them a follow on the gram at Nobby Underwear. Like I said, I'm I'm fully in now. I liked the brand before, um, but I've really fallen in love with the product itself. Next, I have to give a shout out to our homies at Boost Mobile. Uh, we've had a lot of great feedback from people who listen to the podcast Um, that have made the switch and uh, we had the call out going for a while um, just asking kind of if you've switched and we'd heard of it and we got a ton of responses I'm I'm really grateful for the people that did respond to us Uh, and it seems like 
the feedback that we've gotten anyway is super positive for the people that did make the switch um $50 gets you 20 gig of data super easy you can get a sim card at servos or you can head to boost.com.au and make the switch i have not regretted making the switch at all i'm never looking at um how much data i've got left because i've got more than i need um and i'm a super data hungry mofo so this has been a great fit for me um and it's been a great fit for listeners of the podcast as well which stokes me out my guest on the podcast today is a gentleman by the name of craig jones uh craig has a pretty phenomenal story uh, just a couple of years ago, he was a complete no-name in the world of jiu-jitsu. Uh, he heads off to ADCC, chokes a guy by the name of Leandro Lowe, who is one of the sport's all-time greats, and all of a sudden, the world of grappling is completely infatuated with this uh, this lanky dude from Australia that looks like he's not trying. And uh, he's a he's a really interesting case study, even if you're not into jiu-jitsu as such. Um, if you are any kind of uh, competitor or you, you do any kind of sport, uh, Craig's a very interesting guy to listen to. He's got some really cool philosophies um, on what you should do before competition, um, the kind of routines that you should be in and, and the way that you should think. Um, so for me, this was a, this was definitely a selfish podcast. I, I, I guess I try to play some of the similar stuff that Craig does, um, when I compete myself and I was very interested in his mindset and the way, uh, that he approaches competition. So it was definitely a selfish podcast for me. Um, but I mean, yeah, I was very, very, very interested to sit down and talk to a guy that competes on such a high level um so consistently and to sort of look like he doesn't really try while he's doing it is uh yeah it's this crazy thing that that sort of blows my mind uh when i when i do watch him compete uh it was a really cool podcast it was a great opportunity to to sit down um with a guy that i i really look up to uh we shot this episode of the podcast at absolute mma in collingwood um, and I also want to give a quick shout out to the guys at MA1 uh, for helping this podcast come together. I just need to give a quick shout out to the guys at MA1. Uh, MA1 is the brand of apparel that Craig Jones uh, competes in. It's also the gear that uh, Lachlan Giles uses um, as well as many, many more. But they don't just make uh, fighting apparel uh, and clothing. Um, They do everything from uh, mats. They do full gym fit outs. They do strength and conditioning equipment. Um, It's it's honestly insane how much stuff these guys do and the quality in which they do it at. Um, I'm a huge fan of this brand. I'm a huge fan of the guys behind the brand and uh, what they kind of stand for. Um, so if you want to find out more about MA1 and exactly what they have to offer, head to ma1.com.au. And that's the other thing. They're an Aussie brand. Um, super, super good group of people. All right. So without me talking anymore, I would like to welcome Craig Jones to the podcast. Craig Jones. The animal himself. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, dude. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Um, so this isn't a 
well, I guess this as in Gypsy Tales isn't exactly like a grappling jiu-jitsu podcast. So we kind of have a lot of different, more like action sportsy sort of people come on it, like Pastrana and Kerry Hart and stuff. So it's like people love to get into like their mindset because of the extreme sort of shit that those guys do. But one of the things I'm sort of trying to, I guess like not preach, maybe that's the wrong word, but I don't think people get how hard jiu-jitsu is like the level that you do it and i think that a lot of the stuff that people maybe take away from like the gypsy tales podcast is uh like the mindset that those guys have and i think that of all the sports that i'm involved with and film and follow watching you compete and like the body language and the way that you are before matches you're one of the more interesting people i've ever seen compete so I just wondered where like that mindset comes from. We sort of half talked about it getting coffee, but is that because I look like relaxed or something? Yeah, you're just so fucking cruisy, dude. And it's almost to like, I just wonder where whether that's strategic. Is that like you're a pretty laid back dude, your personality wise? But it's like the way that you compete. Like, there's no hype up. There's no fucking thrash metal going on in the background. There's no and like you walk out and you're like, hey, dude. Like, it's a it's a super. I think it's very unique to you in not just jiu-jitsu, but in fucking sport, man. Like, you, I really don't see a lot of people that carry themselves the way that you do right before go time. I just try and uh, get myself in the mind frame that I am before training. Yeah, so okay. I really try and keep everything as similar as possible. Like, a lot of people have the same amount of coffee or, the, like, the, maybe they have Red Bull before they train, so they try and match up a competition. I just try and keep the same mindset. That helps me forget about sort of the situation at hand mm. but I guess I am nervous on the inside but um trying my best to have fun turn it into fun yeah so is it like I guess that's what kind of has me wondering is like is it a conscious decision that you're making to where you're like yeah you are nervous but then you're gonna like this is like this practice that you have got for yourself where like your pre-game game routine is to look like you don't give a fuck yeah yeah <laughs> That's that's basically it. I mean, I am nervous, but I, I wouldn't. I don't let it bother me too much because I never expected to make it this far. Mm. So I'm just trying to enjoy, appreciate every moment as it comes. I guess the Palhares build up to the Palhares match. I was probably the most nervous for. Is that because that was like the most hyped fight? Because I guess like Quintet was pretty big for you, um, but you had four other dudes on the team, right, to kind of take yeah. a bit of the heat off. That one's fun. That's like uh, that's way more relaxed because I guess. A lot more guys are willing to l- take risks and let themselves get submitted, especially if they've already gone out and won a match. Mm. So, you know, to be happier to take risks. Whereas if it's just a pure one-on-one match or maybe it's uh, a different style of tournament, not a team tournament, then you really feel the pressure not to lose. Yeah, It's just you out there. But that team environment makes it a lot more fun. So it's, I enjoy that a lot more than I enjoy regular competition. Yeah, yeah. Now that makes sense. And I think too, like, the, the thing with... Um, jiu-jitsu as well is especially like so tomorrow i'm doing the pan packs and i got 10 dudes in the division and if i don't win the first match i just fucking go home and like that's pretty unique like there's not a lot of sports where that i mean that i've participated in anyway where it's like you you're out in five minutes or you could have five fights and win a gold medal or six fights so it's like when because you did a lot of ibjf stuff right like that's sort of what you first did when you first started competing yeah, back in the day. So I know all about that uh, that horrible build-up where you could lose in one minute and that's you're done for the entire weekend. Yeah. 
It's it's the most brutal shit ever. Yeah, so that's where I'm at for this this weekend. But is that like did that help then your mindset? Like, uh, because I mean I've only done a few comps and I'm I'm actively trying to figure out what I should be doing. Like I was saying when we were walking before that the last comp I did I was so fucking focused and I because I wasn't used to like expecting to win. There's a and man I'd see it all the time. Like and I wonder if you have now. You're, I'd say you'd be at the level where you expect to win every match, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely expect to win every match. In terms of the IBJJF events, I always think of that Rip, Ricky Bobby quote, if you aim first, you're last. It's so, so true. So it doesn't matter. A silver medal doesn't mean much. Mm. If So it doesn't matter if you show up and lose in the first round or you lose in the final. Either way, you got to look at it like a loss. Mm. So when you adopt that mindset, it makes it a lot easier dealing with that first match pressure. You know what I mean? You showed up to win. So if you lose in the first match or you lose in the final, yeah. it's like either way, yeah. you've achieved a similar result. I guess on social media, people will hustle silver medals and stuff, but on the inside, they're not really happy with a silver medal. Man, I said to my coach the other day, so I lost in the final and got a silver medal, and uh, I, I put it on my fucking dash in my car, and I was like, I'm just going to look at this bitch <laughs> on the way to training, because that to me was like the biggest, like most loser medal ever. <laughs> but I think like there's definitely a point though, and I wonder if you reach this in your career, because especially in motocross, like I'd work with dudes, like do you ever, have you ever followed like supercross or motocross or any of that kind of stuff? I haven't. I think I played the video games, some video games when there I was growing go. up. So you're pretty much an expert. <laughs> yeah. But like, there's dudes, right? And like I was saying, like, you know, if I'd race, I'd be like, I know I'm going to get like 10th. And that's like the ceiling. And there's guys where the talent and the fitness and the speed and the bike, like the whole recipe is like, they're just better. And I had a ceiling and I knew where it was. And I didn't go to a race expecting to win or even hoping to win. I just went there with like no pressure. It was unattainable. And then you switch into um, jiu-jitsu, and I, I have had a couple wins. And then now you legitimately just expect to win. And then I went to the, the last comp I did with that mindset. And it, like, fucking buckled me, eh? Because all I all I got cared about was winning. I didn't even... It was funny. Like, I wasn't even fo- concentrating on, like, technique and shit or thinking about, like, a game I wanted to play or anything. It was, like, literally winning was the only thing. So it's, like, it's it's hard to like manage that expectation on yourself and it's sort of yeah i think it's hard because you're right if you're not if you know if you're not first you're last and and jiu-jitsu is like a weird game like that and a lot of the times too like i guess nowadays you know the dudes that you're fighting essentially so i guess that you can probably do a little bit more prep but back in the day when you were competing like you just sort of show up and you don't know who you got yeah back in those days i used to if I looked too much into my opponent, I would be too defensive. Mm. I'd worry too much about what they were going to do when I might shell up but not do anything. So if we're dealing with that style of tournament, I'd rather not know what they're good at. Mm. Like there's a guy, Harry Gretsch here, who just does Kimuras, basically finishes most of his matches Kimuras, excellent Kimuras. A guy like that, I'd want someone to tell me, hey, yeah, he's yeah. amazing at this one move, but don't be too cautious about it. it. Yeah, but if I approached every opponent... Uh, skill set with the same mind frame that I'd approach a specialist like that I would get nothing done in the match mm. so you gotta be careful not to know too much yeah yeah um, with the the Palharis match were you like actually legitimately nervous cause like it, it became a fucking meme bro yeah like, that was like one of the first since I've been really following the sport like the first like jiu jitsu meme that really went around like 
everybody was posting a Pahara's pick and you were like reposting all of these memes. I suppose Kit Dale's the first meme in Jiu-Jitsu really, right? Yeah, but I would say so. After yeah. Kit Dale. But people had a fucking field day with the whole Pahara's thing because he showed up on the ground with that photo looking like a fucking gorilla and then you're just like, uh, the fuck? And there was like the whole weight thing, but... So did that one actually legitimately make you nervous? Like you were worried about it? Uh, I was always nervous about Pahara since back in 2011, like when he just ripped everyone's legs apart. Because he so, don't he don't give a fuck, huh? Exactly. So leading up, like the first time I qualified for ADCC, everyone was like, "Oh, congratulations, congratulations!" And I was like, oh, "Fuck, I hope Pahara isn't in this." Like <laughs> I come out and break my leg, and I had the same thought process even for the last ADCC. But after hanging with some of the top level guys, I really was like. Um, if they do offer me a power high match, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I don't yeah. accept it. So I was nervous. But at the end of the day, I mean, we'll get, like I might take a very bad injury if he holds on the submission. Obviously, yeah. he got kicked out of the UFC because he doesn't let go of submissions. But like, Is that what happened? Yeah, he got banned, banned from the UFC. I never knew that. <laughs> what a fucking crazy dude. So, yeah, I, I believe he's injured a lot of people. He would hold on the submission three, four seconds after. What do you think that is? Like, is that... Like, I don't know. I sympathize with him, right? Because in my mind, if you're like Paharas, you're not a striker. We're going into MMA, which is predominantly a striking sport. Rewards yeah. the striker. He goes out there. He takes some hits to get him down. He maybe takes some hits on the ground. He finally gets a grip on a submission. And the guy's like, no, no, no. That's it. It's over. But I'm he pa- can fuck you yeah, up. Paharis yeah, Paharas is like, well, I've just been punched in the head 10 times to get your leg. I want to do some damage back. So I don't know if that's his thought process. Yeah. He's getting hit. And, you know, I mean, you see in jiu-jitsu, like, two guys are rolling. One guy's maybe going too hard, too hard. Maybe he's kicking you in the head, elbowing you in the head. You get mad. You see these guys get mad. And then when they grab something, they rip it. So if you took the thought process, that thought process to MMA, you mm. took those sort of guys to MMA, it's probably going to be the extreme end of that. Mm. I guess in the heat of the fight, it's very hard once a guy's inflicted a lot of damage on you for you to just be like, oh, all right, now I'll let you go. I'll go home with a headache and you go home yeah just got free yeah. just get the tap yeah no I've never thought of it like that it's it's interesting like you come across as a dude that's so um, casual and cruisy in the way that you like interact with people is you're very laid back you're always kind of smiling but uh, I get the impression from like listening to stuff that you've done that you actually really think about not just like the technical aspect of jiu-jitsu but more so like the yeah, that mental stuff. Like, I haven't really thought of, you know, Palharis in that kind of way. Like, are you a dude that is, like, a deep thinker when it comes to this sort of stuff? I, I guess so. I just try and work out what maybe is going on there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? What, like, you know, why would he be holding onto these submissions? And I guess it's easy to just be like, oh, he's a crazy guy. You know what I that mean? That is the easy knee-jerk yeah. thing, right? Yeah, but I guess trying to understand him. But I mean, I met him and he doesn't speak very good English, obviously. So I couldn't ask him. I was like, what are you like? Yeah. Why are you holding on to that shit? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Please don't do it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that I guess like, dude, there, there is the issue in jujitsu where like you've got to finish because I mean, the technique is good. But when you're up against like a really strong guy, like you need to be muscling that shit. And like, you know, say you're a smaller dude that's trying to come more a big dude or like you're trying to go for a heel hook on Paul Harris. Those legs, are, that's big legs. Like you really, you, you do have to put like a, a big effort in to finish on a world-class guy that is also, you know, potentially bigger and stronger. So it's like, I mean, yeah, there's even been times where I'm training where I've like thought I'm a bit of a dick for doing that. But it's like, shit, like do you want... 
you, you want to finish, like you want to take the technique all the way to the end. And sometimes that does require a bit of extra effort, you know? Oh, for sure. If it's a competition, I'm going to rip everything as hard as I can until I feel anything, any sort of tap or verbal tap. Mm. And if you have any other thought process, they're going to slip out of submissions. Because you've got guys like the Meow Brothers, H. Agassam. If you take them to the point where you think they're going to tap, and that might be the point where you feel bones breaking, that ain't enough for those guys. You mm. know what I mean? So if you hesitate, they're going to slip straight out of the submission. There, and there's guys too, like even in even in our gym, man, like I've seen some elbows go backwards off arm bars and you just let go of them because you're like, you know what, fuck all that. Like, But some dudes, that's, they don't care. They'll go out on their shield too. So it's like, yeah. it's definitely, I wouldn't say it's like violent, but it, there's definitely like a level of commitment that both people have to have to the match, right? Oh, f- yeah, for sure. I think uh, at this level, the level I compete at, if there's a joint lock submission going on, we're both accepting something's going to pop. Mm. It's just not going to be, hopefully, as much damage as, uh, as the average person probably thinks yeah. is going to happen. I see so many guys in jiu-jitsu get severe injuries and come back immediately, come back like nothing happened. Because the beauty of jiu-jitsu is like, we're not sprinters. Like, yeah. we can't, you tear an ACL and you're trying to sprint or zigzag, that's, not good. that's an imposs- like, impossible, yeah. right? But jiu-jitsu, you could take a severe injury and find a different way to play the game. Yeah, and you can, like, you can work around stuff. For sure, like, for sure. Like, there's a guy at our gym, Steve, and he's, like, an older dude, and uh, he's actually a fucking savage, too. But he's had no ACL for ages, and he's, like, in his... I want to say he's, like, mid to late 40s, and it's, yeah. like, you wouldn't... That, yeah, you're right. Like, there's not a lot of sports where you can just get back to that, right? I don't think there's... Not that I can think of another sport in the world where I've seen so many people with terrible injuries that are still effective mm. at a high level. You know what I mean? Some of these guys don't even go to the doctor. They don't even get it scanned. It could be a horrible injury, but they just have faith that uh, it'll come back eventually. And their body will just adapt. Mm. So, it's yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I think um, I'm just going to actually change this. The, a good example of that was Gordon in your uh, EBI fight where, like, that was about as tight as you could get an armbar. Like, did you think that you could have done that any better? It, was, uh, it wasn't as tight as you think. You know what I mean? It looked it, tight. It was, uh, I think it did a little bit of damage. It um, damaged his arm, but I don't think it injured him. Mm-hmm. If you look at uh, Tommy Langlacker versus Dante Leon, that's an example of a guy getting his elbow snapped in half and he just keeps going. Or like obviously the classic examples, Jacare and Hodger. Like did I, I didn't do anywhere near as much damage as Hodger did to Jacare. Was Jacare's arm broke backwards the wrong way and he tucked it in his belt and fought the rest of the match so it's like I probably talked his elbow quite a bit just not enough to um, mm. break it I guess yeah because that was crazy like that was a cool thing to watch like as a jiu-jitsu fan too because I mean there is like it's funny like if you reduce jiu-jitsu down to like what it is it's just two dudes rolling around on the ground if you reduce it down to make it sound as stupid as you can and it's like if you you could do that to anything like with golf where you got a stick and a ball and you walk around for four hours it's like you can make everything sound pretty pretty stupid yeah for sure but but I think that fight with Gordon was such a rad uh, showcase of jiu-jitsu and like the real uh, the grit and determination and I think the thing that like really sucked me in with it is that you get to fight every day and I mean, you might, it might be different for you because of the level that you're at, you're 100% could roll through people instantly. So, I mean, it's like, would you, is it hard for you to go 100% every day? Like just at a regular sort of day at, at this gym or, or St. Kilda? 
I can uh, go 100% but limit the scope of what I'm trying to do. Mm, so okay. the scope might not, might not be to win. It might be to take as many backs as possible yeah. or hit an entry as many times as possible or just work guard passing. So you can limit the scope and still go really, really hard. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I think like for a guy like me in my position, like I'm going to walk into my gym and there's going to be like blue belts and purple belts and brown belts that will literally make my life fucking shit for six minutes and it's a hundred percent and they're going hard and i'm going hard but like if you look at a sport like boxing you can't fight every day like these dudes aren't getting in the ring with the crowd or i mean not that we have the crowd around but that the whole show isn't on display you know they're doing some pad work and they're doing this and that but it's like floyd mayweather every day that he trained in his career didn't do 12 rounds with a guy that's as good as him so i think that's like one of the um that's I guess what I like preach to people about maybe why people get so addicted to jiu-jitsu is because you actually get a chance to do your thing at 100% every time that you practice yeah it's why so many guys do the sport and don't compete mm. it's because you still get basically 90% of a real match without having a uh, showcase set at an event you know what I mean mm. so you can go really hard and have a pretty good idea of where your skills are you're not going to know how you handle the psychological Pressure, yeah, yeah and adversity and stuff in that sense but yeah you have a pretty good idea of what your skill level is everyone always says that um comps are like a really good way to kind of like elevate your game um do you think that competing is something that you should do like if you do want to take jiu-jitsu serious because you're right like you can be a weapon in the gym and if you did go to a comp your skill for skill you'd be able to hang but there is like a different sort of element to it right but do you think that by competing it does accelerate your your learning yeah because i think uh anything that scares you is going to make you work harder you know what i mean mm. if there's a goal you're scared of that you know you have to face you're not going to half-ass it you know what i mean like so if you never competed like how hard are you going to train to train mm. but if you know there's a comp in three months and you know you're at the risk of looking like an idiot to everyone in the audience or to your friends and family that might see you, even though no one really cares how you do, yeah. no one cares as much as you do, if you're really what concerned about how you're gonna look, you're gonna train hard. Yeah. And then it's like if you take, if you're building to the ranks, it's why I would take a match like Naharas. If I took a, a less scary opponent, or an opponent I knew I could win, I might not uh, beat easily, I might not train as hard. Mm. So anything that scares you, I guess in this, is gonna make you push harder and harder. It's funny that you said that no one really cares when you lose because mm. I think about that a lot when you, like, you're in that bullpen and you're kind of warming up and you can't really talk to anyone or, or whatever. It's just, like, that alone time. You feel like everyone's looking at you. But, like, in reality, they don't, they don't give a fuck. Like, there yeah. might be six or seven people from your team that care. And if you lose, they're still going to be like, oh, dude, you tried pretty hard. Like, that's fine. But inside, like, when you're on that in that little bullpen like you really think that the, everyone is watching you and if you lose you suck to, to all those people but in reality it's really not like that oh for sure and so you even think that your teammates are going to feel you suck if you do poorly but quite often you compete you could lose or win and you go to training the next day and nobody even knows how you went yeah true eh? so it's like no one everyone's got too much of their own shit going on yeah exactly and it's all just like that what you're building up in your own head like what you're kind of placing importance on exactly that yeah. isn't actually there yeah it's not it's not important unless you're a black belt it's the amateurs so it's like uh mm. it's all trial and error up until that point 
when did you um, get into jiu-jitsu and why did you start like what drew you to it were you one of the guys that like saw the UFC and was like fuck yeah that's that's me and, and kind of walked into a jiu-jitsu gym from there yeah basically I saw the UFC and wanted to just see what they were doing because I grew up always watching martial arts movies and stuff I did a tiny bit of judo as a kid I did taekwondo as a kid so I always had a loose interest in it I think at the time I was playing guitar and my mum, when I wanted to start jiu-jitsu, gave me a choice between continuing guitar lessons or trying jiu-jitsu. So I was like, for sure, I want to try jiu-jitsu. Mm. So I gave that a shot. My cousin was running a gym. But like when I started, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a white belt or a blue belt, but yeah, there wasn't much going on in my home city. Mm. So when I started- you're from Adelaide, right? Adelaide, yeah. yeah. So back, this would have been over 12 years ago now. I think I was 15 when I first started, about to turn 16. And the gym was very far from where I lived. Obviously, I couldn't drive. Uh, buses, if anyone's been to Adelaide, public transport sucks. Yeah. So I really had no way to get down there. So any chance I could get down there, I would go down there. But yeah, for maybe maybe until I was 21, I barely trained at all. I would say two, three sessions a week tops, split between MMA classes, which was just basically me and my friends trying to knock each other out. <laughs> but we had the proper gear <laughs> yeah. versus um, taking jiu-jitsu. I would do some tournaments, but uh, there weren't too many tournaments going on. I think one a year in my city nationally we had Pampax and Oz Cup other than that you could choose to do the other state titles but I mean uh, yeah I'm sure Adelaide didn't, didn't have a lot going on back then especially no yeah nothing at all so from all like obviously I did the camp with Lockie and I've got to be quite good friends with him um, out of that experience and the podcast and everything like that and he talks about you in like this it's it's funny I call him Lockie One Kenobi Lucky one. <laughs> so you, because to me, he's like this Jedi master. Like he, he's so stoic. He doesn't really give much away. There's like, uh, there's no ego at all with him. Like it's, it's completely not even there. It's not like he's got his ego under control. It's like it doesn't exist. And that's like a, the full Obi Wan Kenobi kind of thing too, you know. And the way that he talks about you is like that uh, young apprentice kind of. And not to say that everything that you've god is from Lockie or anything like that but you're like this freak talent dude that walks into his gym and the way he talks about you is like craig can learn anything like you can see it and then do it or you can tell him and then he can do it and uh that was it bianca that got or what's the girl's name that got um promoted last night oh uh brooke brooke sorry um they sort of say that she's a little bit like that as well obviously she like you said gets a lot of training and stuff but said that she's got that sort of ability but it's like if you are a guy that has the natural talent that you have as I guess because it's not all physical in jiu-jitsu like you'd say it's one of the few sports where it's more mental it's like uh, like a database kind of collection like you've got to see see uh, variations of so many different things and cash that into your database so that you've got like an action or a reaction for it kind of thing so in that sense I think it's like a really mental sport um, but if you had this like mental gift for like learning techniques, seeing techniques and then applying techniques, did you just like kind of not know you had it until you took it more seriously or was there no one around you to like foster that? Because you got to think a dude like you that's done what you've done and the way that people talk about your abilities, like that's like child prodigy shit <laughs> that should be, you'd think would naturally just be fostered. Like whenever anyone sees a talent, it's very apparent. Like if you can see a fucking three-year-old hit a golf ball better than you, you're like, oh, oh, that's Tiger Woods. Or if you can see 
you know, a swimmer that can uh, swim like crazy fast with no coaching. So it's like, I feel like talent on the scale that you've got, it is super identifiable. So it's like, why was it that you didn't take it super serious to start with? Uh, because there wasn't anything really going on. Like, uh, I think in my city, there were three guys teaching jujitsu. So in the immediate vicinity, there were three guys making money off jujitsu. So you know what I mean? Like, are you going to dedicate your life to a sport that doesn't, you're not even going to be able to support yeah. yourself doing? And then there was no internet then, right? Really, for jiu-jitsu. There wasn't much. And even MMA was still banned in uh, Australia at the time. So, mm. like, even the MMA route would have been basically impossible when I first started. Yep. Obviously, it's come a long way since then. But I think in terms of talent, it's just how much interest do you have in the sport? How many questions are you asking yourself trying to solve every day? It's easy to go to class learn what the coach shows you go home it's easy to watch the supervite events watch it and go home it's very difficult to always be thinking about what's been going on always be studying match footage mm. always be maybe coming to class with questions and not even just questions for your coach questions for guys that are doing particular things to you it's also very difficult to try and analyze the trend of the sport and see where it's going yeah so i think i realized quite early earlier than most even that uh the sport was heading the next major trim was in heel hooks seeing Gordon and Gary and Eddie way back in the day utilizing them against uh, I guess opponents you'd typically think were better at jiu-jitsu than them mm. so like the ability to identify trends I think is very very important in that sense so when was it then that or, or like I guess did you know that you were like super talented at jiu-jitsu when you were like that white and blue belt or would you say that you weren't that talented because I mean I'm obviously like I'm into jiu-jitsu but you're a guy that I found through this whole thing and like you see you to me you seem like an anomaly out of everybody and it's like on a combination of different things like uh if you look at like Gordon Ryan like that dude to me seems like an athlete he's a jock kind of guy that is super fucking dedicated who's got the best coach who's lived his whole life like that's what I would see as like this traditional kind of athlete in a sense and like same with Gary Tonin even the way that Lockie trains like he how he breaks down like his strength and conditioning and flexibility and like the ways that he can make gains so to me they seem like more like uh, the standard athlete and I think with you like there's just something different um, and it's got to be like the mentality that you have and like the way that you think about the sport so like yeah I guess it's um it's in I'm interested even if I wasn't into like if you were just a case study and I wasn't interested in jiu-jitsu and someone said you got to study this Craig Jones dude from like a sports psychology sports standpoint I think you'd just be generally interesting to everybody um, and it is interesting to me that you didn't really have like that traditional all in like look like Nicky Ryan sort of approach yeah well I mean I never even really had a coach for an extended period of time um, I had a coach coming up. I had my coach, but I mean, obviously, given that we started, I think either he was a white belt or a blue belt, I was a white belt. Like, mm. I mean, I'm not getting taught by black belts, I believe, up until... Per- not like if you walk into Absolute right now and get yeah. taught by Lockie. Yeah, times are different now, so it's like um, he would get a belt so I could get a belt. Obviously, a purple belt has to be... Uh, you have to be a purple belt to grade someone to blue belt, mm. etc. So we'd follow that path, and I moved to absolute at the end of 2015 and was graded to black belt at the end of 2016 so even up until black belt what's that one year of coaching under a black belt mm-hmm. so it was, it's it's yeah it's a bizarre set of circumstances which i don't think you could recreate anymore yeah the sports progress too much for you to 
be in a situation like that yeah and yeah. still hit it yeah I think though like when did you know that like or like did you ever get the vibe that like you were like a special talent like in the gym or like you know you said your coach was a pearl belt when you were a blue belt sort of thing like would you say that back then like if you obviously it's hard to look at it in the moment but when you look back at it are you like you know what I did do some freaky fucking shit I didn't even think so because every time I would win I would take a crushing loss you know what I mean Mm. so there was never an undefeated run or anything like that Uh, the first time I went overseas I won a tournament and then by the end of that trip I did that was San Fran Open Um, and then by the end of that trip I lost in 20 seconds at Pan Ams so Mm. it's like every time you brought up you brought back down yeah I think the only benefit to learning under someone so new to the sport themselves is that you have to know how to self-learn. You're figuring everything out. Yeah, and there's a lot of people today that because they have access to, uh, they ask so many questions, they have access to so many people that they don't actually learn how to problem solve themselves. Mm. They always need guidance. They need too much guidance. Yeah, okay. And like, uh, like John, I remember Danaher doesn't really answer questions. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that the other day, yeah. Yeah, so people come up to him for questions and he'll be like, don't ask me a stupid question. Or he'll say something like, uh, I wouldn't want to take a, uh, uh, an opportunity for you to figure this out for yourself. I so he's not coming question. across like a dick. Well, I mean, probably I, does I'll some, right? A little bit, yeah, but a little bit, but it's like... Uh, but it's like, how do you take that? Because if you take it as like, oh, what a fucking dick and get defensive, then he's right. You're not going to learn. Some, sometimes it's a dick, but it's hilarious. I know Alberto told me he asked uh, John a question after he trained with John for eight years. He said Travis Stevens came... I don't even know if I should tell this story, but it's pretty funny. Travis Stevens came into the gym. The, the judo... Uh, I think he won bronze medal or silver medal. And he would pass... Alberto with the same over underpass every time and every time he passed John was watching and John was like excellent work Mr. Stevens and then after class Alberto goes do you, to John do you have any tips on how to defend the over underpass and John goes just shoot yourself man <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking incredible you know what I mean I learned it a long time ago that if uh, you ask if you want to solve a problem and you ask a question you're more likely to uh, forget it than if you figure out a solution to mm. yourself. You know, one thing that Lockie said to me that I thought was pretty cool was um, uh, with that Brooke chick was that she asked the right questions. So that really actually stuck with me. I was like, hmm, it's kind of like the fucking Matrix. Remember when she walks in and she's like, that's the wrong question, Neo? <laughs> and he's like thinking like, what is the right question? And man, I think that that's like a huge part of learning is like, because there's like cop out questions right and I mean not to throw Alberto under the bus but it's like it's just like you're asking to be told what to do not why you should do it in a way so it's like when Lockie said that that's something that I've thought about and even in my own training like man I'm straight up the biggest fucking geek ever like I went to Jiu Jitsu the first night and that was in the end of April this year and I was like cool this is me now and I got fucked up like and my girlfriend was actually there watching but I, for whatever reason there was something there that I was like alright cool this is the thing that I'm doing and I was straight on YouTube and I was like watching everything and, and I did I wondered for a little bit like if that was too much well your first mistake was bringing your girlfriend to watch you get beat up by one the one million percent bro <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking <laughs> yeah that first class is I mean the first three months is no joke really like it's just pure survival but there was I don't know for whatever reason I just went deep into studying I bought like a Jiu Jitsu University from Amazon oh, you know the, the book yes and then I like 
I fucking went. Uh, we went to the Sunshine Coast. I read that cover to cover in like a day, and then that that was like my referencing. And and then I sort of started thinking like, fuck, am I just like overloading my brain? Is it like I was questioning if it was the kind of sport where you should just go do the class, learn the moves, and then go home and then try and implement those moves in a live situation. And I've well, I guess it's been like seven months now, but. I am really thinking, and I said this to one of the girls that trains with us, is that I think that if you want to be good at anything in life, you should take control of your own learning. And obviously it's not like to discredit the learning that you get at the gym, but like you've got a game that you play and you've got a style. And I think that the longer you train, obviously you're going to gravitate towards certain things. And that might not be what gets taught when you go to the gym. So it's like if you want to play that game, if they're positions you're finding yourself in, it's like, should it be up to you to like be your own instructor as well? There's so many resources where you can do it. Yeah, that's the that's the tricky thing. I guess like uh, when you go to university, they teach you how to evaluate sources, evaluate mm. the quality of a source. So like, uh, so don't watch Lachlan Giles's YouTube channel. Junk, junk. Fuck. I if it's free, so. it's junk. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously, you go to uni, you study anything. BJJ fanatics discount code Craig Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get that shit white belts download the leg lock dvd please <laughs> so like uh, obviously yeah there are a lot of resources out there and the problem is when you're a white belt you it's may hard be, to know yeah you're not experienced enough to make the call whether that's a valuable resource or that's junk mm. and that's the tricky part you don't know until it's too late you spend your time trying a move that's not uh tested really you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. no that makes sense but did you then so to go back you had your coach who was only a belt above you and it was almost like you guys were kind of learning jiu-jitsu together so do you think that sort of set you up to really kind of develop overall like as a jiu-jitsu practitioner because you had been so used to like teaching yourself essentially uh i think so and i think it was easier back then to learn from online resources because there was less like if less. you were on it that yeah. meant you were actually legit yeah right? there were, it wasn't a big enough budget it wasn't a big enough profit margins for everyone to have a crack at it so really there mm. was very limited stuff out there that was like uh, stand up comedy back in the day like you really only had like those showtime specials and that was like it. that's what all the comedians would work towards so it would almost be comparable to where it's like the networks that we're going to invest the money in like an in instructional dvd or whatever they were going to get the best dude because it was a short like it, yeah. this was in limited supply but now everyone like you get random dudes like lachlan giles who like realistically what have they done in the sport <laughs> you know they <laughs> nothing, just start nothing. a youtube channel out of a garage in st kilda <laughs> but no like I guess, I guess that's right but um yeah it's like how much is too much or but i i found myself recently uh, like when I did the camp with Lockie, right? It was Butterfly, Single X, and X Guard. And all of that, like there's a lot of that where I just straight don't remember. And luckily Liv filmed pretty much the entire camp. So we all got that as like reference. But it's really hard to even uh, retain all of that information and then implement it on a guy that's just better than you at jujitsu. So I mean... I got to a point, like I've kind of hit a point recently where I'm like, like I've got your um, Z-Guard um, encyclopedia uh, and then the one that you and Kit did um, and then like a Kimura thing and 
Lockie's Chokes DVD. And that, it's kind of like a little... For me, I'm like, in my head, like, that's my little world. And I want to get good at that little world before I really start to, like, learn everything, if that makes sense. And I'm, I don't know whether that's, like, the right approach or not, because it's like, I guess everything can help you in some situation you might get taught something super random that's not part of your game or whatever but it obviously it would help but it's like i wonder if there is like there's got to be that balance between like learning but then being the dude that just sits on youtube and just googles every fucking thing wants to be a barambolo guy wants to be a top game guy wants to be a you know what i mean yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, even just spending a lot of time watching matches, matches, watching how high-level matches play out. And the tricky thing, again, is as a white belt, when you watch a high-level match, you look for the most exciting moment and you watch that over and over and over mm. again. But it's more the subtle changes in position and details. The tiny setups, the and frames. Tr- and trying to figure out what they're doing, yeah. It's it's funny. Um, watching your uh, Z-Guard encyclopedia dvd that you did that's available at bjjfanatics.com um it's for me anyway i don't know if it's the same for other people but like i'll watch your i do watch a lot of matches and i just enjoy watching it and i watch your style a lot as like a lanky sort of dude as well and you can kind of watch it but it's like it's like listening to a conversation where you don't know all the words right and then i then i like say i watch your dvd and there's some of that like uh, reverse X the way that you set up like saddle and stuff out of some of those really underneath reverse X guard positions and it's like I watched the match before I watched that DVD and then it's like I because of that DVD I now understand those words so and I always told you people that Jiu Jitsu is like watching a conversation with people that know a language that you either do or don't know or if you're a white belt, you know, like, a little bit of it. And if you're a blue belt, you know a little bit more of that language. And if you're a black belt, you're fluent. And it's like you're watching a conversation. Like, you can... It's like almost like an argument, right? It's like, who's going to get the better of that argument? Like, no, you're not going to get that arm. I'm pulling that out. And then you sort of constantly readjust. And it's like this language. But I found that after watching certain... Like, your DVD in, speci- in particular pertaining to your matches, it's a lot easier to see what's going on and see those setups and see things before they happen because you kind of know those words if that makes sense oh for sure for sure and when you watch match footage the best trick is to like say you're trying to pick up a concept so the best would be to watch you've got 10 videos of someone being outside heel hooked Mm. so the best is to watch all those 10 one by one and try and notice the similarities Mm. in what has occurred in all of them and then maybe you have 10 other videos where the guy escapes the outside heel hook Mm. you try and identify the difference so like a concept you could pick up watching outside heel hooks is very rarely will someone tap to an outside heel hook when their hips are higher than their opponents mm. so little details like that that's like a concept you could pick up it's hard to notice but if you watch the same finishes over and over again you'll pick up concepts so what was similar it's like if you watch someone get their back taken like what did you find similar in each of the similar back takes between either the same guy doing it 10 times or 10 different guys getting a back take I just think you blew the minds of everybody listening that does jiu-jitsu. That's a fucking super cool way of looking at footage. When did you first sort of... When did that kind of come in to your mind to do that? Or is that a natural thing you've always done? Yeah, just trying to... Like, I would identify something I want to work on and then find as much match footage as I can. 
of people implementing that move and also failing at that and trying to identify what was similar when it worked, what was similar when it didn't work. Mm. But then it's also a problem with heel hooks because sometimes people tap when it's not on. Yeah. So you might watch 10 videos and you might know, you might start to get a picture that it's hard to break the guy's leg if his hips are too high off the ground because you can't put as much force through your hips. But then you see a couple guys tap and you're like, oh, sort of like, uh, why did they tap? It wasn't all the way on. But I think the, the crazy thing is the the heel hook thing is interesting because it, it really changed, I think it changed all of jiu-jitsu, in my opinion. Like, Nicky Ryan's... Um, he did was it Kasai what Nick, Nicky Ryan did he did the quintet recently Nicky did the quintet he did the he Kasai did the, yeah but Kasai was the one before he went on right before Lockie right at Kasai Lockie Lockie Giles I don't think he has done Kasai oh well what was the one that because I'm pretty sure um oh fuck I would, maybe yeah anyway it oh was, you're talking about Polaris is it Polaris, Polaris okay yeah. cool so there was that match right and he had the MMA dude the English guy I can't remember his name but obviously a phenomenal grappler and the whole thing is like Nicky's this leg guy Nicky's this leg guy he's this leg guy stay away so then the MMA guy I fucking feel bad for getting his name but he basically just went straight into Nicky's guard assuming that because Nicky's this leg lock kid that the guard would be a safe place to play. And it's like, no, no, no. This is the legs is what is like really threatening. But people don't see the rest of his game because they're he's so good at that leg locks. But then it goes the other way to where a guy's so scared of leg locks, he just walks himself into the other part of his game. And I think that that's what's really changed jiu-jitsu and guys like you and Gordon, uh, well, that whole Danaher squad, the way that you're attacking with legs. And like... It, it opens up the rest of your game and I think that for a while there it was like no nah, these are like these one trick pony sort of dudes that only do that but then it's like no that's just like our first thing that's what we're sort of going to if you want to go into the rest of the world then you're going to step in you're going to invite yourself in to a position where you wouldn't sort of be doing so I think leg locks really changed jiu-jitsu in the way that it's, it seems like they've forced people to engage more in a way because you can't stand at that that uh, leg entanglement distance where you guys are just going to go under and then get into the saddle and start working from there. It's like brought people in. Is that like a correct assumption? Yeah, I mean, either one way or the other. Either yeah. they don't engage at all mm. or they're trying to commit uh, and control the hips completely, play a lower game, I guess. But when you come in and play that lower game, then you're exposing yourself to... Yeah, to other a attacks. Whole, yeah, a whole other sort of world of like normal jiu-jitsu in a way. And like I said, anytime you are fearing something your opponent does eh, too much, then you're going to open yourself up to uh, other attacks. Like I said earlier, like if I was too worried about it's like Harry Gretchen is Kimura, he might actually catch me with something else because I'm so concerned about my thumb position in whatever position I'm in so he doesn't get a Kimura that I give him something super obvious, something, mm. a mistake I might not have made. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. A lot of guys get submitted with other things because they're so terrified of heel hooks yeah it definitely makes sense and you can like kind of see that happening and i guess is the heel hook like the most gnarly submission do you think like the inside heel hook the inside yeah for sure probably i guess the most catastrophic in terms of the damage that it can do yeah i think yeah it's good inside heel probably put you out for six to twelve months it's fucking crazy because people don't really think of jiu-jitsu like that no and sometimes you gotta weigh it up maybe it's ADCC final maybe you're gonna mm. you're up on points you're gonna let him break it 
I didn't think there's too many sports like that either. <laughs> True, man. Fuck, I'm not letting anyone jack with my ACL. <laughs> but I guess you say that, and then there's been some times like where you'll get your arm like dislocated in an armbar, and you're like, "Well, I didn't think that that was gonna happen," because you kind of you're like, "No, I got it, I got it," but you don't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does does happen. A lot of injuries. Mm. So, when did you like really think that? oh fuck jujitsu is actually going to be like my life now because that's really what it is like you i guess you're maybe part of like this first new generation of like guys with social media that travel around the world they can advertise privates everywhere they go they can do seminars everywhere they go when did that start to become like a thing that was on your radar um i'm not really sure after after adcc yeah after adcc you just sort of start getting more seminar invites and there came a point where in time where it was like I was making more money traveling yeah than I am back here in absolute but then obviously I got a way out between my own training and my own ability to make money I can only make money while I'm doing well at competition and the more seminars I do realistically the worse I'm going to do a competition mm. so it's kind of a balancing act but yeah I sort of uh always planned to make money in the sport but I never thought it would be as easy as it is right now mm. but obviously I do recognize that it's like uh Seminars, yeah, it's like a popularity contest. You know what I mean? You have, yeah. you have one good match, everyone loves you. A bad match, you're forgotten very quickly. If you if you follow the sport for any period of time, there was some guys that are very very famous, and then bang, they're gone. Maybe they got injured, and they've lost. Uh, but do you think that minutes. that was the case in like the social media era? Because I feel like once people have a fan base, like look at AJ Agazam, right? Like he's like the child son of jiu-jitsu really he's like he's a professional troll like yeah. and he loves it and kit's almost the same so it's like the kid isn't out there really pushing super hard like match wise and things like that right so it's like are we in a new age where like if you can control your image and keep enough people engaged like social media wise where it's like that's where longevity is going to come from yeah i think so i think you see everyone try different approaches obviously kit's approach aj's approach gordon has his own approach you see a lot Power of guys, yeah. You see a lot of guys trying a lot of different things on there. So yeah, it's definitely changed. It's just copying MMA. Mm. I guess it's just a poor man's version of MMA. Yeah, it is, huh? Yeah, that it's crazy. Like the whole Dylan thing with like Connor. Like that's probably the most jujitsu's ever been talked about. Really, like you. I would say so. Yeah, d- you couldn't get away from the fucking name Dylan Dennis for like two weeks after that fight. <laughs> that's crazy. But it's like, it is like, he's a bit of a troll too, right? Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's, yeah, he's just playing the game and I guess he's learning from the best. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't like Dylan Dennis for it, but there's no question it's working. Oh, 100%. And, you know, there's there's a lot of shit that, that comes with that. But, I mean, on the Dylan Dennis front, like, he's got to be doing something right. Like, Conor McGregor isn't the kind of, like, he has access to everybody. Like, he, like they're friends. They like each other. And when you're a guy, like, I'm sure you've met some pretty famous people, like, super famous dudes, like, on that level, they're not just, like, inviting people into their circle as, like, every, hey, come on private jet with me, man, like, yeah, fucking cruise, and I don't really know you that well, but, like, he's really offering something of substance to Connor that I would say goes a lot further than jiu-jitsu, so it's, like, there's something there with Dylan where, like, people are kind of talking shit, but it's, like, He's obviously a pretty legit motherfucker in like a lot of aspects. Yeah, he's very good. I think um, a lot of people have a short memory with his jiu-jitsu career because I know he's had quite a few draws lately. 
or maybe even losses in his latest submission grappling matches. But especially if you go back to his brown belt days, one of the most dominant brown belts I think I've ever seen and very much so submitting guys or uh, and showcasing a lot of wrestling even back then. It's just like I said, like people have a very short memory of the sport, so it's easy to mm. easy to hate on him now for maybe losing a few matches. But, I mean, he, he gave Gordon probably his most difficult match at ADCC. Mm. And he's also, obviously he's uh, bigger than Gary Tonin, but he took Gary Tonin to a draw. So, yeah, he's a very impressive grappler. I think uh, him and Connor are so tight because he came along so early in Connor's career as well. Mm. Obviously not like way back John Kavanaugh days, yeah. but like uh, in terms of his popularity, his fame, I think before Connor really hit it huge, Dylan was in there training with him. Yeah, and it's harder to get inside that circle as you do get bigger and bigger. Oh, for sure. Connor would have to insulate himself from... I guess all the crazy people. <laughs> but he's crazy as fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he might need to be insulated from a lot. Um, you don't really seem to go, like, crazy hard with the social media thing. Like, I mean, Kit, that's, like, his thing. Is, like, he's really, like, all over the social media stuff. Plus, he's, like, trying to be an actor and shit, I guess. So, it's, like, different. It's not apples and apples there. But, like, where are you at with that whole social media thing? Um, I can't for the most part I can't really be bothered with it that's what it seems like yeah I try and have some fun with it I mean I know you see guys like Eddie Cummings he probably even puts in less effort than I do mm, on that dude for sure yeah but um, yeah I mean but he seems like he's too smart for Instagram yeah Lockie's the same <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. like too smart for that she's like eh, nah yeah they hate it hey but I mean it's a, you just have to do it it's a tool right have you like can you see a correlation between actively putting effort into Instagram and money in your bank um you'd have to in terms of yeah in terms of seminar seminar mm. office yeah the more it's hard to see a direct direct effect well like you got that barefoot jujitsu yeah yeah so I mean there's like that. there's sponsor stuff that comes out of that so I guess that like there really is like a Oh, for sure. I'm trying Effort to, in, money out. I am trying to build it. I'm just never going to be... I guess some guys talk to the camera every day. They're doing crazy amounts of stories and stuff. Like, I can't really be bothered doing that. Yeah. But uh, some aspects of it I do enjoy because you get to talk with some people, some fans and stuff, or just some... Mm. You meet some interesting people in there and stuff. Is it... Um, was it a weird transition to go from, like, no one knowing who you were and, like, walking around completely under the radar to then everybody in jiu-jitsu like knowing who you are and obviously like it's a it's a small community so it's not like you're fucking walking down the yeah. street and people are, like getting your autograph and shit so it's not like you're in that world but if you like just look at the jiu-jitsu ecosystem it's like you're a super famous dude now and that wasn't the case like even just a couple of years ago like has it been weird or do you just it- honestly not care I don't care too much because I know it's so people are so fickle mm. with um, who they support and stuff. But I guess the best part is it's, it's not like obviously you're not truly famous, so it doesn't really affect my day to day life. But say I ever need help with something or I need to know things about places, I've got a huge community I can ask a question to yeah. and get a bunch of responses. So in that sense, it's awesome. You know, you go to a new city, you're like, what do I see here? Yeah, bang, 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 like lots of responses and stuff. But yeah, I couldn't imagine if you were truly famous and you couldn't go go anywhere that i mean that would really be horrible has there been any negatives in it to where like because i feel like maybe the only negative at the scale that you're at is probably just people trying to get a come up off what you've done 
but like is there any negatives that you've kind of had to deal with think, out of it no i think i've been pretty lucky so far nothing too crazy nothing too weird i think i'm in a i'm a, a lucky position i think i'm supported by most of the community because i'm sort of seen as an outsider uh, australian in a sport dominated by americans and brazilians mm. so it's uh yeah it's a lot i guess a lot of good support not even too many people talking shit directly to me or on my posts or anything like that yeah you're not a guy that needs that shit to like sell a fight or i think like you're probably in a lucky position to where like you've got such a unique style when you fight and then the i guess like we were saying like that calm relaxed demeanor like i think it like takes people back like this dude can't be that good like he looks like he's just like you honestly look like you've just accepted you're gonna lose and you're like what's up dude don't fuck me up too bad let's go and then it's like bang and i think that you know there's just like that interesting thing so it's like maybe you've just got your own thing where you you don't need like a shtick like aj agazam has a fucking shtick and people will like it's like a 50 50 on that dude's instagram of love and hate and even dude i fucking never ever ever comment on instagram and i saw he posted a like a happy birthday thing with your mum. Uh, with his mum and I was like I was so close to writing I'd fucking choke her <laughs> and like just because he's like he just seems like he invites that shit and I was like he's probably the kind of dude that would actually enjoy that comment and then it would like start a bunch of shit and it's like he's the kind of guy I think that it's like as long as people are talking about him he's pumped whether it's like good or bad but it's like I don't think his grappling people aren't like if he just shut his mouth and didn't do anything I don't think people would be, like, as interested to tune in to say as if you were fighting. I mean, but he did beat Lucky Giles, right? Oh, shoot. <laughs> the shade. Yeah. No. Nah, yeah. He what, just, do you, what do you do in that match? How'd that go down? I think just a takedown. Oh, is that all it was? Yeah, that's kind of part of his criticism, too, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a lot of respect for AJ because no one gets their limbs broken quite like him and just <laughs> recovers from it like it's nothing. Like, his career is full of people ripping shit on him, and it just doesn't even affect him. It was... What was it? Did he fight Dean Lister at Polaris or something? Who did he fight? Who injured him the most? Oliver Tarzi injured him really badly with the inside heel hook. Oh, really? And he just let it break. I mean, Gary Gary Turner put him in a knee bar. Hyperextended his knee the other direction. It was so bad. He didn't tap. When he stood up to walk off, his knee buckled backwards. So it caved in. So I don't know. That looked like severe damage. But then he put up a video <laughs> the next day with a girl standing on his shoulders doing squats. What the fuck? So he is a savage. He's a straight savage, yeah. That's pretty fucking rad. And I guess, too, like, he's rolling with the Diaz boys pretty heavy these days, too. So it's like, they're legit motherfuckers. Like, there's obviously... I think that's, like, maybe one of the things I've learned through filming with, like, different, um, you know, different athletes and different sports and whatnot is that you kind of see these people on like the inside of these circles and if they're at the top of anything like there's a there's always something more to the story that's going on there than what you think like you sort of can't take everyone for face value in terms of like what they're offering like these people like uh yeah like a dylan and um connor sort of relationship like there's always a little bit something extra that like once you get over the fence and you peer inside it's like ah that's sort of what's going on so i guess like but if you just take aj for like his instagram then you're like what the fuck what the fuck is this dude doing but there's obviously something there yeah well most of the guys that people have problems with you meet them in real life and they're like completely Mm. normal 
dudes. You know what I mean? It's all just uh, they just use it as a tool to further their life, I guess. Yeah. And if I mean, if AJ can act a certain way that pisses people off, and it means when he makes his MMA debut, he makes a lot more money, then like, uh, who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> he, got, he got it done. Yeah, I I can appreciate it because having met the guys on a different level, I know. Mm, yeah, they're exactly. not really you know, that like oh, you've, painful. You've been on the other side of the fence. Yeah, like I remember I saw AJ put up a photo. What was he wearing? A um, a matching floral shirt and shorts and a beanie and sunglasses, and people were ripping him on that. But it's just like <laughs> it's just a game to him. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy too that. Like, has it just gotten bad? Well, not bad, but has that whole world of, like, the whole Instagram jiu-jitsu thing, like, that's a thing now. Is that a new thing, or am I just, like, new to finding this thing? Um, It's definitely, to the level it is today, I don't know how long that's been going on for. Because mm. it's pretty, they're pretty, they go deep. Yeah, like, I mean, AJ's becoming, like, a D-list celebrity or something with the people he hangs out with. I know, so it's hey. like, it's, uh... He's doing some cool shit with it, I guess. Like, he's utilizing it very, very well. Do you think, then, that let's say this trend keeps going and we start seeing AJ Agazam with fucking Bieber. Like, he was he was doing security at that Logan Paul KSI. Like, that was fucking big, dude. That did 5 million YouTube buys. I think it was, like, $10 a pay-per-view on YouTube. Yeah, they made a lot of money off that. That's some fucking cash, man. And AJ's in that shit. He was in there boxing with Logan before and stuff, yeah. Like, so, with all this that's going on, and then, like we said, we got Dylan that did... He fucking... I'd say, in terms of, like, if you want to use a super lame marketing term, like, moving the needle, I think that Dylan Dennis moved the jiu-jitsu needle probably harder than anybody recently, right? Like, that was in mainstream culture. So, it's like, if we keep having these dudes like AJ and... Um, and fucking why am I blanking oh Dylan, Dylan. like uh, doing this can you see jiu-jitsu like getting more mainstream I think so I think it's still probably one of the fastest growing sp- hobby sports in the world you okay hobby sport like what would you like um, I lo- like people just do it in their spare time like and it yeah. uh, encompasses their life I suppose that's because like like NFL can't be a hobby sport, right? Like that's no. just an elite sport. So okay, yeah, that makes MMA would be a good one too. Like you're not going to get the average Joe sparring every day for MMA. But the trick, the brilliant trick with jiu-jitsu is the belt system. How many people do Muay Thai casually for ten years? Yeah, and there's every no night. Reward. Yeah, the belt system's just a. It's it means something, but it's a trick to get you to do it for ten years. Mm, that makes sense. Thank God for the Gracies, otherwise we'd be like judo, and none of us would get paid any money. <laughs> so you think that the the belt system is super significant in keeping people going? Oh, for sure, for sure. How much should people think about the belt? Um, because you hear all the dudes like, "Just holds up your pants, man." It's like, well, it actually, fucking doesn't. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, like, there is that whole, like, don't worry about the belt. And, I mean, I've even had that chat. Like, don't worry about your blue belt. Just fucking be a white belt. It means something else. It means something different to every person, obviously. But I think uh, I wouldn't get too caught up in it because there's plenty of black belts that suck. Mm. There's plenty of blue belts that are really, really good. So, like, it doesn't mean you're good. It means whatever it does to you. You know what I mean? Mm. So, you set yourself a goal and you get a physical reward for the goal. And that's what holds, holds people in the sport. How long, like... So, to get a black belt... You're looking at like, but you know, between ten and fifteen years. But then you get a dude like Kit that got his in five. 
like where you get like those blue belts that are like insanely good like I got a friend Nick that he came to Thailand with us he's a we call him the zebra because he's got more fucking stripes on his blue belt than a zebra but it's like you roll with that dude and you're like we're doing a different sport and he's not even bigger than me he's not like he'd be stronger than me but it's not like that it's a size thing it's just that straight up level of fucking savagery that that dude has for and again it's like that data it's like everything you do he's already seen you do it and nothing works with a guy like that so it's like what then like he's not fitting then I guess into like that 10 year kind of black belt thing like his level of jiu-jitsu is probably a lot higher than his belt so is jiu-jitsu this thing where like you can learn the thing and become super high level at it without being a black belt like or is a black belt just this symbolic thing that represents the time that you've put in I think a black belt should should mean you're well rounded it shouldn't mean you're effective so say if you deal with a blue belt that kicks your ass you just haven't found found, or you maybe don't have the skills yet to exploit his weaknesses mm. whereas like uh, say Kit obviously got his black belt very quickly so he's very very effective but say someone like Andre Gavao or something might be able to exploit his weaknesses that a lot of people cannot get mm. you, you know what I mean so I think a black belt should mean you're very well rounded but I, I'm not saying if you're very, very effective, but not very well-rounded, you shouldn't get a black belt. You should for sure get a black belt. Yeah. If you're kicking people's asses at a higher rank, then you should be on that rank, whether you even know certain positions or not. Oh, you, so you think that... Yeah, okay. Because at the end of the day, what are we doing it for? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because it is like... And I mean, especially for me, like in the position I'm at, because I mean, I've, I've been through a lot of stuff, so that's why it's cool to talk to people like yourself and people like Lockie because like Lockie said if you're winning blue belt worlds you should probably be giving him like a really fucking hard time so then there's a dude that's competing at the highest level as a black belt and he's saying a blue belt should be able to give him a hard time so it's like it it seems like like it doesn't all seem to add up right and I think that even um, even for me like I had this idea of jiu-jitsu as like okay so this is like you're in as you're a white belt and you like you live in this little lane and you shouldn't be doing baron bolos you shouldn't be doing kiss of the dragon taking people's back like that's just sort of not the lane that you do and i i kind of see where that comes from like you want to build a house with good foundations you don't just want to like go and put up the fucking chandelier while you haven't got a roof on the house like it's not going to be uh a solid thing to do you're probably going to fuck up the chandelier so it's like yeah where's the balance between that like staying in the lane but then I've sort of like switched my thing to like well I just want to be good at jujitsu regardless of the lane I should stay in or the belt I wear or whatever and I mean it has a way of leveling out right like a purple belt will pretty much all the time fuck up a blue belt and a white belt so it's like I guess the 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 belt's like a rough indication but it's like, should you be thinking about it as like, all right, well, I'm just going to try and get good at jujitsu and not worry about the belt or use the belt to restrict what I think I should know. I mean, I wouldn't tell people to not do something that greatly interests them. Um, if you told them not to do something, they might not spend as much effort into the things you're telling them to work. Mm. So whatever puts people in the mats for longer is better for their jujitsu, I think. Mm. Obviously, if you're trying to learn the beer and bola, but you don't know how to play Della Heva guard, yeah. you're never going to get good at the beer and bola. So hopefully you're intelligent enough to come to that realization. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, yeah, it should come full circle, hopefully. It was interesting. Um, 
the the whole like you learn from a loss sort of thing is like as about as true as it gets I think in the situation that I just had where I lost and I like to play half guard Z guard right and obviously you know a lot about that but I went into this comp and it was a no gi comp and then the guy was just standing at like this really weird distance that I hadn't really dealt with a lot and then wasn't doing anything and I didn't really have like an answer for it and I was like come here cunt like fucking let's go and he just stood there and I sort of didn't really know what to do and but I was still sort of like trying to play his ego but it's like that's not working but what it was was a reverse De La Hiva. and I hadn't put that together yet and I what I did was I put De- reverse De La Hiva on a shelf and I was like look that's like a blue belt thing when I get a blue belt I'm gonna work on that right so that was like a really really good lesson for me because then like I so the comp was Saturday I got fucking beat and then I went home and I spent all day Sunday watching reverse De La Hiva shit on YouTube and this was before I got your Z guard uh, DVD and now I wish that I went and bought it like <laughs> a week before that fight because my coach actually said like I was there he's like invert underneath invert underneath and I was like fucking never done that shit that's like, pretty hard for a white belt reverse the I thing yeah but so I, I like inverted underneath him and then I like sort of I'd seen a lot of people do it so I kicked the dude out but then he fell onto my knee so I had his back but I I couldn't get that hook around all I had to do and my coach Fabio was telling me roll over to the other side because the top hook was in so that would have then been bottom hook put that one in game over would have had his back and would have won the would have won the fight but it was that um, it was just that knowledge and it was like yeah so you could say like there's the kiss of the dragon kind of technique or whatever but you need to know that if you're going to play Z guard or half guard then a hole in that game is if someone stands up now you need to be in reverse El Heaver so it's like a um, yeah it is it, it's interesting to me that I kind of like put that shit on the shelf and I wasn't like I just said I'll learn that when I when I go to like a blue belt yeah. sort of thing but it's like if it's that's a, it's a great way to do it anytime you get beaten with something then now that's the time to learn it mm. therefore the more you train the more you compete the more things you have to learn the more time you're going to spend on the mats you know what I mean so sometimes it might be better to not think about it like oh, this is for this belt this is for this belt mm. it's just if you're getting beaten with something it's time to address it yeah and it, it was it was just a classic case of like the belt where I was at and like the lane that I was supposed to stay in was something that cost a uh, like a, a win or whatever not that that sort of matters but it's like I got beaten with something that I'd kind of put on a shelf but it was it was interesting then and, and when I did the camp with Lockie it was like butterfly single X X and when I went there I was like oh that's cool we'll like work on those three things but it's like there's systems within jujitsu right and I didn't really get it until Thailand and Lockie we sat down and it was like the first thing is like we're going to do this basic butterfly sweep bang now if you can't get this underhook then this is what you're going to do and then if they push this way then this is what you're going to do and now we're in a position to where we're going to go to single leg X and then from here if they do this now we're going to X guard so it's like that was my first look at like jujitsu as this system and I'm thinking I'm like I'm like fuck you can like play you can do jujitsu in this game right so like you've got Z guard De La Hiva reverse De La Hiva and that's obviously putting it very fucking very simply but it's like you're playing in a system that you've developed for you 
and theoretically that system has an action and reaction for everything right but it's like are you going to do it flawlessly so i think that that opened my eyes to like that system and when was the first time you kind of thought or do you even think about jiu-jitsu like that yeah yeah you gotta obviously anticipate counter counter reactions and stuff like that that's uh the whole game to me is thinking about what are they going to do if this doesn't work or what are they going to do if this works but not well enough to get the finish you know what i mean try and yeah uh try and fit them all into one i guess the almost old school one is what is it you go for the hip bump sweep you can turn into a guillotine or, yeah. or a Kimura. Yeah. Um, that was the first time I learned that, you know what I mean? Like one attack can lead into another straight off their defense. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you, like, because you're a guy that's responsible for, like, you like you go to St. Kilda. And, I mean, I haven't trained here, but at St. Kilda, it's like people know how to do Z-Guard, Delheva, reverse Delheva, single leg X, like that whole world those dudes are ninjas at it and it's like when did you realize that you were like wanted to play a game in in a way like you're obviously a super rounded black belt oh you just want to beat people you know what i mean mm. the easiest way to you want to beat people so better part than the least resistance yeah what do old black belts not want to do learn new shit mm. so that's the way to beat them yeah okay so when did you start implementing that thought or was that just like a natural thing and then you're like the clearest the clearest example was when uh, uh, black belts would hate on heel hooks yeah. they'd always be oh they're too dangerous but they don't know what they're talking about you know what I mean this is a set of guys that think they're too dangerous so that's an excuse for them to neglect learning the intricacies of it I don't think there's any dangerous move there's moves there's only dangerous training partners mm. the same guy that's going to hurt you with a heel hook is going to hurt you with another submission or you're going to hurt yourself because you don't understand the game. Mm. First time you get armbar, what are you trying to do? Pull your arm out. Get out. Injure it worse. First time you get heel hook, you try and turn your leg out. Maybe you turn it the wrong way, you hurt yourself. So when old school black belts hate on heel hooks, they don't hate on them because they didn't work. No one hates on moves that don't work on them. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like that's the first trick. Well, even Lockie said at the start, he was like, Z-Guard's a shit guard. Yeah, yeah. And he, like he's like said that to people, and, and like he said, well, he said that to me that he said that when he was like, ah, Craig's doing the Z guard thing, and it's kind of shit. But you know, so is it like you think that that's the case where it's like people just, yeah, they're like kind of almost like neglecting this new thing because it's this whole new, because like that's the it's been the path in jiu-jitsu for as long as I've been in it. They hated on deep half guard when it came about. They mm-hmm. hated on fifty fifty guard when it came about. They hated on the birambolo when it came about. And each and every one of those moves isn't even up for discussion anymore. It's mm. just part of the game. Anytime something new comes about, people are going to hate on it. It's, uh, and they hate on it because it's effective. Sometimes they hate on it because it's a junk move. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like th- all 10th planet. <laughs> <laughs> like, but yeah, like sometimes they're right, but you got to know when they're wrong. And that's very hard to predict, I guess. Mm. The other thing that I wanted to talk... This is like, by the way, sorry to everyone listening. This is the most selfish fucking podcast <laughs> I've ever done, but fuck it. There'll be more. Um, the other thing I was wondering is like, you've put on like a lot of weight, like muscle-wise, size-wise. And I started having this thought in my head, like I'll go to the gym and there'll be dudes that are like 85, 90 kilos and they're better than me technique-wise already. So I've got that fucking tick that box for me getting my ass kicked. And then you chuck in the 85, 90 kilos, tick that box, and then you tick the box where they're just strong as fuck at that weight as well, and then that's three boxes ticked of me getting fucked up. So in my head, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, man, next year do I, 
or like kind of when these comps finish should i like really fucking hit the gym and get stronger because in my mind i'm like what's going to get me better at jiu-jitsu like what's going to get you better at say kimuras is like ripping a fuckload like a fuckload of kimuras right so it's like i get the theory of the technique should be perfect and you shouldn't have to use strength but it's like if i'm finishing it and go like oh i had a little bit more time to adjust this grip or i it seems like strength buys you time and then it can also just get you like a push through finish but it's like you're still learning like the best way to learn is by doing those submissions so in my head i'm like damn do i try and put on like a bit of muscle a bit more strength to then maximize these roles where i'm going into the gym with dudes that are a better than me technique wise but stronger and have more weight so like was that your method of thinking or did you just sort of want to get in like the absolute division and so that you could be like kind of one of the top top dudes well i had to go up because lucky was doing 77 kilos mm. but also people always say this i think lucky even feels the same way i know he started lifting weights lately but he always used to say because he'd look at his idol marcelo garcia and marcelo would say you don't need yeah. to lift weight and the, what you're talking about there is two naturally thick ass dudes you know yeah, what I mean? lucky's back looks like a fucking <laughs> turtle so me growing up as a lanky guy I was, deal- I was I would get injured. You yeah. get injured all the time. So it's all well and good for a thick, muscular, a guy that's dude. muscular from training to say, don't lift weights. I, I don't have to. Of course you don't have to. You know what I mean? You already look like you do lift weights. Yeah. Uh, the main purpose of lifting weights is uh, protection against injuries. Okay. So if a white belt, he might get better at jiu-jitsu by doing jiu-jitsu. But if he doesn't lift weights and make his body strong, there's a good chance that uh, he's going to injure himself and be on the sidelines for a while. Yeah. And that's why I think I think you need to add weightlifting to your system as a white belt. Because say you've finished high school, you went to work, and this is the situation with most people that I think start jiu-jitsu. They went to high school. When they are in high school, they did maybe some sports. Maybe they did a tiny bit of weightlifting afterwards. And then they went to work for a while, got bored, started to get out of shape. They're like, I want to do something fun. They get into jiu-jitsu. But their body's been on the... They've been resting for like mm-hmm. five years. And those guys that take a big chunk of period, off, a time period off, or maybe they partied for five years or something, they get into the most, and they get into the most brutally. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think you can't just come in and fight every day. You need to do something to protect your body as well. Mm. And strength and conditioning is that. But I'm not saying just go to the gym and be be a bro. I think yeah. you need a, a sort of professional to watch you lift, because otherwise you're going to do more harm than you're good. You're going to get hurt there as well, yeah. Yeah. But so do you think that that like the way that I'm thinking has merit in terms of like because basically I think like let's say I roll like I train six days a week and you roll three times in every day so it's like what's that 18 rolls or whatever that you're doing a week let's say half of those rolls are with guys that are bigger and stronger and better so it's like for me it's like if I can get on the bigger and stronger and then it's just then now I'm dealing with one thing and that's that they're better than me technique wise so it's like you're going from half of your roles being completely undergun technique wise and then completely overpowered strength wise like if you can bridge that gap do you see that as being like a way to sort of progress even more oh for sure if two people are equally strong then the more technical guy's gonna win but you might be better than someone if he's stronger than you he still might win yeah you know what I mean so anything you can do to bridge that gap is better I would make sure that if you did get strong that doesn't replace your technique yeah yeah you know what i mean but it I just think supplements that, it there's like an element though of um like strength is just it's like your gas pedal right 
Because there's a thing in motocross where, like, if you start getting sideways on a bike, the thing you can't do is shut off the throttle. Like, you need to power out of situations. It's the same in a car. Like, you, you, like, drift around a corner, and then you let off the gas pedal, and then that fucking thing just grips up and starts, like, gra- grabs traction, then you're in more trouble than if you just held the fucking thing on the stopper. So, to me, in my head, I'm... And again, like, I could be just way off. But it's like you've got that gas pedal to where you can give yourself so it's like you do want to be that sort of technical guy but or at least you're not like powerless to somebody that's like because the most common thing like you roll with a big dude what's the first thing he's going to do smash through side control kimura like that's the big dude playbook so it's like if you've got a bit of extra horsepower to prevent that it seems like to me it's like how do you just maximize those times because yeah you might have nine out of 18 rolls where you're just undergun the entire time yeah, I mean, if people, if jiu-jitsu was only technique, the old-ass guys that have been training for 40 years would be the best at it, mm. but they're not. The guys, there's a reason we have a master's division, you know what I mean? Technique only takes you so far. Yeah. So it's definitely always better to be stronger, and I've very rarely met anyone that's uh, good that isn't at least somewhat athletic. How much did, like, you've competed with Gordon before he went full Arnold? Yeah. Like, how big of a difference has that made to him? Um, I competed with him when he was already big the first time. But he's like big now. Big now. Uh, since so he, you just don't. You just, so he was already pretty well on his way the first time you fought him. Yeah, yeah, because that was his ADCC run. Yeah. Um, it definitely, yeah, it definitely makes a difference for sure, for sure. But it's I wouldn't say it's the reason he beat me is because he was stronger. Yeah, when are you going to beat him, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> Can you please beat Gordon at some point? Yeah, nobody beats me four times. <laughs> How many, has he beat you three times now? Three times. Fuck. Get one back. <laughs> Come on. What is it with Gordon? Uh, I mean, he's fucking good, obviously. I just think he's just the best guy, best guy in the game right now. That quintet was gnarly, dude. Yeah, him killing Josh Barnett. That was a real, a real interesting one was whether he could finish Josh Barnett and he was in mount within a minute it was fucking demoralizing for Josh Barnett like and I don't think people realize like if you just watch Quintet that's a really poor reflection of like what that dude's actually capable of like you need to go back watch some old school Josh Barnett heavyweight UFC shit and just like look at what he does to people he's and the then, first, first guy to tap Dean Lister as well so true that's where he's uh, that's no joke most scary yeah so it's like for Gordon to do what he did to that guy the way he did it was fucking crazy but I think that that quintet was such like a great look at modern jiu-jitsu and there was there's always guys that are like for whatever reason just like a level above and I think that you and Gordon are on that level but then obviously like you're 0-3 against him so it's like he's obviously got that another gear there somewhere and I guess that's like going to be you figuring that out for whenever you guys fight the fourth time but it was really interesting like you run through those 10th planet dudes and they're good fucking guys and I mean not that you beating them makes them not good guys but it was like that was crazy so you had like that side of the draw and I was like holy fuck look what Craig Jones is doing to these poor motherfuckers (laughs) and then on the flip side of that draw you had Gordon Ryan that was like holy fuck look at what this guy's doing to these motherfuckers and then you two met and and had that match and I think it was like a that was like a really good look at like modern jiu-jitsu and getting guys from like different backgrounds and different countries and and that sort of stuff 
Yeah, I think that definitely this modern style is uh, greatly superior to what a lot of the traditional guys are doing. You know what I mean? A lot of people like to think that, like Hicks and Gracie, could come back today, he gave him his youth back, and he'd win. He wouldn't win. That's insane that people think that. You know what I mean? The sport obviously progresses. It would be silly if it didn't progress. There are anomalies. Hodger Gracie came out of retirement and beat Bouchesha, submitted Bouchesha. There are anomalies. That doesn't mean the sport hasn't progressed. You know what I mean? Hodger Gracie is a technical freak. Bouchesha's technical as well, but he's just an athletic monster. And Hodger Gracie was able to capitalize on a mistake and didn't let him... uh, didn't let him out of that mistake but yeah the sports obviously progressed so even within a five minute a five-year window like when i think barnett submitted dean lister five years ago and you see what one of the best modern nogi grapplers did to josh barnett even the two other guys um shaolin hibero obviously he's much older much smaller gordon killed him um obviously marcus Souza. marcus Souza is an animal he's a really good guy probably at his probably past his peak competitively Gordon ran through him that's the way it should be Mm. you shouldn't be able to come out of retirement and beat the best young guys of today I think there's something wrong with the sport if they if they can do that and yeah you're right like you don't see um, you know like a like if fucking Brett Favre come back right now he ain't winning the Super Bowl yeah and it's not to discredit those guys or what they've done there's no point comparing guys from back then to today yeah it's just uh, it's unrealistic unrealistic expectations no it, it makes sense man what um, what like do you see jiu-jitsu as because even for me like it's turned into a lot more like I I did a fucking float tank the other day and I've never done one before and um, way to just yeah sound like Rogan too <laughs> um, so yeah fucking go nuts on that one um and I was like went in there and like I've been stressed with work and then obviously competing and then I, I knew I was in Sydney and gonna be fucking carrying on in Sydney and I was like in there and I was like alright think about all this shit you got on your plate think about you know all this stuff that's got you stressed out and I fucking went in that float tank for an hour stone cold sober and I could not stop thinking about jujitsu. I was actively telling myself dude you just paid 75 bucks to try and sort some shit in your life out and all you're fucking doing is drilling. And I was on the plane and I was watching uh, one of your DVDs. And I was like, I was, it was like I was fucking drilling that shit in my head. I was watching myself do it. Did, have you been in those sensory deprivation? I've done it, yeah, I did it one time. Did you have, did you have that? Like, were you thinking about jujitsu when you were in there? I can't even remember what I was thinking about, to be, <laughs> to Dude, be honest. I, I was like, act, like mad at myself. I was like, you're fucking wasting this. And I mean, turns it like, you know, I guess visualization is a big part of sport, but there's just something weird that goes on to where it's like it's not just a sport like it's a it's a thing that i don't really know what it is yet and it's like maybe with the level that you've reached at it it's like you do you reach a level where you get almost like enlightenment as to like what this thing is that you've spent your life doing no i didn't think so because it changes all the time you know what i mean Mm. it's just like uh I, i guess it's just um it's obviously it's like a fight without punches you know what I mean mm-hmm. but there's like uh, endless possibilities to win and endless possibilities to lose so it's just uh, if you're a competitive person then it's just gonna be addictive there's always gonna be a challenge to overcome like there's always gonna be a sort of a mountain there for sure yeah yeah cause I mean it's definitely it's, it's definitely unlike anything that I've ever done and I mean I even was like I remember when I first started I'd like come home and I couldn't even remember who I rolled with but I could remember the entire roll if that makes sense and it's like 
to me then that's what made me start thinking of like what am I really doing here if I can't even remember who I competed against so like what was the competition if I can't remember the dude I just rolled with for six minutes I quite often don't even remember what happened in the match that I just competed in Mm. so yeah it's like uh, you get lost in the moment I guess it's like one of those things and and I get this in um, in motocross I don't get any motocross anymore to be honest I'm just fucking scared because I know what happens injury like I've had horrific injuries my brother's had horrific injuries I've had friends die like the whole gamut of shit has gone down in that world for me so now I'm just scared but when I ride like mountain bikes when I surf I think that the thing that we're all doing whether we have realized it or not is like that full meditation phase where it's like that zone that you're trying to get in when you're like meditating like the flow state or whatever yeah and I think that some stuff is like it's just like depending on your personality your character like you can get into that flow state doing crochet or you can get into that flow state doing jujitsu but it's like it's that's sort of what we're chasing because there is nothing else and it's like even uh you know when they say like time stands still it's like well time's moving at the exact same pace it's just that you're paying no attention to it there's no space in your memory or in your consciousness to pay attention to time and it's like that is is that where this feeling comes from and is that what we're doing is like we're almost addicted to being in that moment or is it the fact that it is just this constant challenge that you're never going to get right yeah i guess it's just uh completely lost in the moment very difficult to do that early on sometimes in jiu-jitsu because it's like uh so frustrating Mm. you come out of it you know what i mean but with the right training partners you can definitely achieve that yeah no for sure what what um what do you uh make of the announcement well, i guess we can't not talk about you and keenan with the the rematch oh yeah very excited for that we got to give this a plug we can put this on the gram you know sell some tickets <laughs> yeah very excited for that i was glad I was is, he gonna, gonna, is he gonna play like worm guard like a no gi version of his gi. worm guard i saw someone put that up they said i saw that was hung enough yeah yeah <laughs> he can play worm guard uh <laughs> it's just a good match because he beat me at adcc in this last adcc and he's obviously a very well decorated grappler so it's a great challenge to get and i like uh i like keenan as a guy as a fan everything so like uh to get a match against a guy like that who's a a good guy you know what i mean like it's not a match against someone like pajares where like if it goes poorly he's gonna severely injure me yeah it's just a, a really fun match and it's cool he wanted to do it at 200 pounds i'm the champ at 185 so I talked him into making it a 205 pound one for the belt. So I was pretty excited about that as well. Is it is it cool the position that you're in to where like you can kind of get the fights that you want to get nowadays? Like is that the... Because I guess is that what makes ADCC and those comps so good is that they can like... Like you could be screaming like, I would fuck Leandro Lowe up. And then Leandro Lowe is going to go, sit down, yeah, be yeah. humble. <laughs> and you never, you never fucking touch that dude. But, like, when it happened with you, you go through some, you know, ADCC qualifier, wherever, and then, bam, you've got Leandro Lowe, and now you make this crazy name for yourself. Is it, like, is that the goal, is to get that one fight that breaks you out to now you can fight these people like you have looked up to? I'm sure you've been a fan of Keenan forever. Oh, forever. The, the, that's the beauty, like, you touched on it with ADCC. It's, like, if you're doing regular professional super fights... 
how is an unknown guy going to get to test himself against a famous guy? Mm. Famous guy is going to be like, there's no way in the world I'm like, what do I have to gain? Risk. Yes, that's why ADCC is great because you bring in famous guys, they're forced to fight guys that really earned their spot in that tournament. Some more than others, obviously Asia is much easier to ticket to win than uh, Europe or uh, Brazil or America. But they obviously earned their spot in that tournament. And you get to see crazy underdog moments like that take place. Obviously, Eddie, Eddie did it with Hoyler Gracie. It was probably the most famous mm. moment like that. Um, that's where ADCC is so special. And I guess the fact that it brings in different styles. A wrestler could win. Mm. A submission-only guy could go in there and win. A points fighter can go in there and win. How do you get a points fighter to take a match against a submission-only guy? Mm. ADCC is the only time they do it. And the only time they do it where they don't complain about excuses afterwards. Mm. And that's, again, to bring it back to Keenan. That's why I got so much respect for Keenan. Who's a guy that takes uh, takes uh, matches in any rule set? Yeah. And in any attire. You want him in the gi, you'll take it in the gi. You want him in no gi, you'll take it in no gi. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I felt bad for him this year with the whole world scene because, like, he's still not won a world black belt. But, yeah, you're right. He is that guy that will sort of take anything. For sure, that world's thing's for him, really. You know what I mean? Because, like... Uh whether he's won it, whether he wins it or not, everyone knows he's on that level. Mm. It's just he wants that personal accomplishment, like I guess anyone does. But yeah, yeah, it's sad that he hasn't won it. He's got the double double ADCC silver as well. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a bridesmaid dress right next yeah. to <laughs> But another guy that's got a double ADCC silver is Lucas Lepre. He's probably the best gi grappler up there in the world. Yeah. So it's like sometimes you can be on the cusp obviously everyone thinks you are on that level but you just haven't quite got that achievement that you're chasing for yourself yeah how do you think that Gordon's gonna do when he starts doing gi stuff have you trained with him in the gi in New York I trained with him in gi six months ago and I think he's come a long a long way since then because I barely put the gi on at all but from from what I've heard about the people he spars with that yeah he's doing very very well mm. and he's such a competitive guy winners win man winners exactly, fucking exactly. win he's too competitive not to do well mm. do I think he's going to come out and win Black Belt World's first year probably not but is he going to be much more competitive than the average person thinks he will for sure it's such a like weird wonderful interesting time in jiu-jitsu because it's like it's just starting to get this shine from like mainstream media you've got the whole no-gi movement then you've got like big name no-gi guys that want to go do the gi and then you've got guys that are now going into MMA and they're bringing like this like because what was Jiu-jitsu in MMA was like, holy fuck, he took his back and choked that dude out. And it's like, now that's like day one what you learn in when you go to like an absolute or, or whatever. And it's like, now it's like this whole leg lock thing and there's all these, you know, crazy different guards and shit that people are playing. And it's like, we're going to see that in MMA. Like we saw it with Dylan. I mean, not the guy he thought was great, obviously, but like he fucking pulled a toehold off in his debut MMA fight and then you get like Gary Tonin's going for like these Imanari roles and shit to end rounds as like a Hail Mary so it's like it's jiu-jitsu changed the game of martial arts with like the Gracie family and it's like is this now like the second coming of jiu-jitsu in a way because it's like you've got all these dudes like yourself that grew up in you know different countries and whatever and it's now like your creating this new thing in jiu-jitsu it's like are we going to see it impact MMA in the same way that the original jiu-jitsu did I don't you know what I sound negative but I don't think so I think the best example of a guy going from jiu-jitsu to MMA in modern times is Damian Maya yeah and his style does look nothing like 
what he would represent in a pure jiu-jitsu format and it's because MMA is not made for grapplers yeah it's made for the fans and what the fans want strikers yeah so I mean even in your experience have you rolled have you ever rolled with a guy that goes full keep a playful Gracie style just doesn't want to get submitted what, what do you mean like just just uh, wants to survive and not get tapped or like, like just hold on and not just get doesn't tapped. do anything yeah oh yeah how dude, hard is that guy dude, to tap I know why so, so imagine as a grappler going into a MMA fight you've got five minutes he's doing that and you got to take you. a guy down you got to progress on the ground and not get stood back up and submit a guy that only wants to hold on to you to get stood back up. Mm. You'd have to be goddamn Jafar Mendes yeah. to be able to be effective and assist a rule set like that. It'd be unrealistic to expect you to be able to do that. So that's why I think it'd be very, very difficult. And I get all the credit to these guys for tra- for transitioning. Yeah. But ultimately, the ones that are successful, their styles aren't going to reflect... What they would do in jiu-jitsu. Their jiu-jitsu styles. I think, like... You look at Gary Tonin, like his last fight was pretty sick and I respect him a lot because he's gone into bang. Like there's guys where obviously they're not even fucking close to level of grappling and I mean, but there's a, like, there's definitely an aspect of it to where like, man, if Gordon Ryan gets you on the ground and can punch the fuck out of you, like are you getting up from that? Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Like you don't have to be heel hooking dudes to be insanely effective in MMA because it's like, not that he's the level of grappler that Khabib is. It's a totally different style of where he come from. But, like, you've been underneath that dude when he's trying to make you shit bone fragments. Like, you're fucking pretty well stuck. And you add in some big elbows and punches and he's not a small dude anymore. It's like, I don't know, is, is maybe that, like, a new level of control something that could, like, influence it. And maybe it's not just heel hooks and toe holds and all that shit. But also, he will be coming up against... A level of wrestling unseen in the jiu-jitsu world. Mm, okay. You know I mean, we got we got Olympic gold medalists competing in MMA now. Like Henry Cejudo, like what he did to Mighty Mouse, that was pretty impressive. And yeah. it's not like Mighty Mouse can't wrestle. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think I think Gordon Ryan, obviously, he's so competitive, he's going to find a way to win. Yeah, winners winners are going to find a way to win. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. It was um, yeah, I think the way like what Gary's done has to give him a, a lot of confidence too, eh? because of the way that like Gary's really went in there and like wants to stand up with dudes and even after like maybe it was his last fight but like he took a couple pretty big shots and I was like yeah the first first punch of the fire yeah he got fucking rocked eh but he like he didn't then just go straight into like defensive jiu-jitsu mode he, he wanted to like stick in there no I mean if you watch his grappling style the guy's a savage so it doesn't surprise me that he's gonna be able to take a hit yeah definitely um so what like what is like next for you or not next but like you've you've obviously like reached a point where you didn't think you'd ever reach before right so it's yeah, like for sure but just uh pursuing the adcc gold medal that's all i'm focused on right now in the foreseeable future all these super fights are all good fun and to keep my name relevant and stuff but that's definitely the ultimate goal yeah so i've competed a lot this year next year i'll compete less and really focus on developing the skills to get that gold medal are you like how much do you care about taking an L in these super fights? Uh, do you yeah. think it hurts your stock? It depends how you take the loss, I think. But in the art, like, I mean, you can take it however you want, but you can't control other people's perceptions oh, I of mean, that like, loss. I mean, it depends, like, who beats you? Mm. How did they beat you? You know what I mean? That all really plays a factor. How did you take that loss? Mm. Like, et cetera. How, did you, how much shit did you talk before? 
because mm. the fans will turn on you then. <laughs> so I guess like maybe your style then lends itself towards a guy that can lose, right? Because like you look at a dude, because like I don't feel like anyone's rooting for you to lose. I think people are like I said it before. I guess like people are going in there and they're like, "Fuck yeah, let's watch Craig Jones do do his thing." But there's a lot of people that are watching like an AJ or a Dylan or even like Gordon to like they want him to lose. And traditionally playing the heel in martial arts, like you've got the fucking hero and the heel. And the heel's always gonna get the fights and but people are gonna kinda want to have that person lose. And I think that this is like a situation Connor's almost getting into now where it's like a loss like really, really hurts his stock. And it's probably because he is so out there about winning that when he loses it like makes it look way worse so it's like do you think that your style just kind of lends itself to like you almost it does but it's capped it's capped an interest do you know what I mean is a guy that doesn't talk shit ever going to get as many views as a guy like Conor McGregor but I think like do you think just the way that like let's say Conor talked no shit before Jose Aldo and still did the same thing do you still think you don't think that that would be as like holy fuck as if he talked all that shit and then did that or does Jose not even get into that predicament of being able to get sparked in 14 seconds 13 seconds or whatever it was without the shit talk it's tricky it's tricky to think about hey but I'm not sure I'm not sure if you can captivate the mainstream audience without being an aggressive personality Mm. without either creating guys that really really want you to win or really really want you to lose hmm. are you interested at all in that combat jujitsu? because you nah, were nah not you at don't all want to do it too pretty oh it's like uh, I mean I don't want to talk shit about those guys I respect it for what it is but I mean I don't think MMA fighters respect the combat grapplers and I don't think the jujitsu guys respect it's like caught in the middle in a yeah, weird spot it's right, right in the middle but it doesn't mean it can't be something in and of itself yeah because I definitely think like I obviously love jujitsu. I watch all the Polaris and Kasai events and I'll watch whatever I can basically but I'm really not stressing if I miss an EBI combat jiu-jitsu yeah and it's and sad it's, they're, they're all, all every male event is a combat jiu-jitsu event now yeah every female event remains without slaps that's bizarre to me and bitches are the ones that love slapping yeah and that the slaps that'll attract the mainstream audience women slapping each other I think <laughs> fucking hope dude and like allow for hair pulling Let's get, yeah. some, let's get some of that shit going. But no, it is, that is like a weird one. Um, I want to like it. I mean, I'd love to like it because it would, again, give me more shit to watch. Gordon's going to do it. I think I think people are going to watch that. I was joking mm. around. I was like, I should enter it when Gordon does just to get one good slap on him and then quit. Just to have one good <laughs> shot and then, and then tap, pressure tap. Yeah, then I'll be like, nah, you're done, man. You didn't get to slap me back. He's a, yeah, he'll do, he'll do pretty well in that shit. What do you get into much like outside of jiu-jitsu or is it pretty all-encompassing of what you've got going on? Uh, I haven't had much time to do anything else this year. I was going to say like have you just there's probably just not time. Right? I just try and enjoy the cities I'm in, do mm. tourist stuff, um, but for the most part adjusting to jet lag, teaching seminars, training, lifting weights. So it's at this point there's sort of not a lot of room mentally for you to kind of be into other shit. No, not really. Are you into other stuff though? Um, other nothing like and I guess nothing like in the sense of jiu-jitsu mm. I like to go watch movies and escape yeah, escape okay. the stress of uh, this life sometimes you know what I mean that's why I let it distract myself from the jiu-jitsu world a lot yeah yeah but there's not like you don't have these kind of other avenues that you sort of follow no not really but just. I guess that is probably what lends to 
the way that you are able to like the things that you're able to do you know are you thinking about like new techniques or like because it's safe to say now like z-guard is like a thing right and essentially it's half guard and knee shield and then you can lock that knee shield but it is now a new thing because it's almost like there's a system around it right oh, yeah yeah um, am i thinking of new things no z guard just came about as a way like another exploitation to win you know what i mean and mm-hmm. a, a position that there are attacks from that's neglected but uh in terms of other areas i think uh like how does that come about like it's so it's not like this conscious decision where you're like flow charting moves did it just start to work for you and then you just start to path of least resistance like exactly, you're going yeah. towards this triangle from z guard seems to be fucking up everyone so it's like let's go from that and then you slowly hone that like sharpen that blade against more yeah. and more people yeah well I, that's the only move i did at purple but i probably hit a hundred z guard triangles between blue to brown belt and that's the only move i used in to competition do. in competition yeah and then just that's the thing I think it's like someone said at one time where it was like you gotta learn how to get good at one thing before you can get good at anything else so mm. I became very good at that position and then tried to apply how I got good at that position to other areas mm. but in terms of trying to figure out what's coming next I think just everyone's working on the highest level just taking the back different paths to the back and wrestling mm. that's what's gonna win you ADCC cause like uh, realistically guys aren't gonna tap to heel hooks straight ankle locks knee bars arm bars they're going to let a lot of shit break. Mm. The only thing they can't let break is... Uh, you can't choke. control the blood going to your brain, right? Exactly. Exactly. And the safest position to try and choke someone from is definitely going to be either on top or on their back. Mm. So, like, trying to find chokes from bottom, triangle, much harder. Much harder in ADCC when you can slam as well. Mm. And against very athletic guys, it's going to be very difficult. So, when you choke Leandro from the back, that was your game plan was to get to his back? Uh, the game plan was to attack the legs. Okay. But then, yeah, but like you, like we talked about before, it just opens opportunities, right? Yeah, opens opportunities to sweep, and he defended the sweep, uh, leading to the back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that about the, because I mean, I struggle with, uh, like, I don't really want to be on top ever. Like, I just, it's not my world. I'm, I'm not that. Again, it's not like I've been doing it that long, but that to me is seems super foreign. And like, I can watch stuff that you're doing. And I can go and apply if it's like offensive or a sweep from my back. But as soon as I get like when you did that Kit Dale video that you two did, like I fast forward the Kit shit, not because it's Kit, but because I'm like, I can't fucking remember that shit. Like I can't, I can't see it, you know, like when, you know, for instance, like you're in the flow tank or whatever. And it's like, I can literally watch myself do attacks off the bottom or sweeps off the bottom. But then... Like, I trained at Absolute on Tuesday night and, like, fully forgot the pass that Lockie taught. Completely gone. And it's like, I don't... I, don't, I wonder what that is to where it's, like, that bottom sweep attack thing is so easy for me to memorize. But the top passing and top pressure and, you know, even in mount, I'm like, if I get to mount, I'm like, fuck, I need to get off this bitch. Like, I'm, this isn't the place I want to play from, you know? So it's like, I wonder what that is. It's just not what you're interested in right now. You know what I mean? Mm. You're focused on working from the bottom, and that's fine. I didn't. I didn't think I knew a guard pass until purple belt. I didn't even think I knew how to pass guard until I came to Melbourne. Mm. I would just play guard, just do whatever I'm effective at. I would do it. 
So it's not like as long as you become well rounded over time, it's fine. Mm. And how did you then switch to like passing? What was it that helped you get your head around it? You just need that to win. Okay, you know what I mean. It's just and so did you just get to a point where you were so um, like confident with what you were doing off your back and on the ground where you're like, well, I kind of don't feel like I need to spend as much time working on that right. Well, passing's the best. It's the easiest thing to work on inspiring because you can pass a guy's guard and let him get his guard back in like a second mm. and then you can give it another crack. Yeah. It's hard to sweep a guy, let him get you, just let him sweep you back, sweep a guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's very easy to work on passing, get good at passing. Mm. Keep passing a guy as guard you're better than over and over again, practice, practice. Yeah, okay, that so makes... find a way to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because for me, like, I mean, I've started trying to drill it and like, generally the days before comps and stuff like i'll sort of work on passing but even then i'm like like i did there was one comp i did and the like i had like a a very definitive like strength advantage even though we're obviously in the same weight class and i got on top and i was i got triangled and i was just like why the fuck am i on top and then i ended up fighting that dude in the final and i just went straight to the bottom and then i I swept him and then i literally let the dude sweep me back so i was on the bottom again and yeah, then that's a common thing that's what I used to do like I would sweep and I'd be scared to be on top so I'd fall back I wouldn't complete the sweep mm, really yeah it's just yeah it's a, but you see some guys like Andrew um, a friend of mine who trains at St Kilda he loves top game shit and loves that top pressure so I guess yeah you're right it's just like that kind of interest that you like whatever is kind of captivating you at the time and that's why you gotta be careful to cut someone off or what they're interested in because if they don't like playing guard and you force them to do that before they're ready then mm. suddenly they might not show up to training as much have you like when you um, came to Absolute and met Lockie was that like a super definitive part of your development to have a guy like him on his on his level and kind of like being around that environment Oh, for sure, Lucky, and the fact that he had a lot of high-level competitors there. We had a community of guys all chasing the same thing. That was something that really, I didn't think at the time, anywhere else in Australia had. Yeah, and still maybe doesn't, would yeah. you say? I wouldn't say to the same... Not to say, the same level, Yeah. Huh? And did you know that coming into it, that like you sought that gym out, or were you like... Yeah, yeah, we went there. luck. I went there to train for a training camp for Nogi Worlds and before the camp I'd only taken vacation from work and before the camp left uh, before the camp ended he had already offered me a position to stay there and teach so I just didn't go back to work just up and moved to Melbourne yeah what, what work were you doing before you did this like what did you think your life would look like before this shit um what was it uh I was working at a liquor store like a bottle low at the time really no shit I would and before that I was a university studying psychology so I would do oh, that I, makes sense I would study psych I would work at a bottler and I would train at the same time yeah that okay the psychology thing makes sense because I feel like I guess just to circle fully back to the start like there is this there is a unique thing that you do when it comes to competitions and I I feel like if you could say like if say tomorrow at Pampax if I could do it, I would go do what you do. I'd look like I don't give a fuck. I would, <laughs> like, straight up, like, the way that I would describe it is it's like you're cool that you're about to lose. And you've just got, ah, oh, there's no chance I can win. Hey, man, what's up? Let's do this. Fucking, let's get it over quick and I'll go and eat a hot dog. That's, like, the vibe that you put out. And, I mean, I don't know if it's fit, if it's just accurate practice, or whatever. practice. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it, it makes sense. Like, that, to me, is, like, the best case way to approach it. And I've even had 
like I mean, and I, I not, like I said, it's just it's weird for me because I'm used, I, like I knew the spot I was going to finish, but in jiu-jitsu it's like you don't know where you're going to finish. Like you can tap anyone, especially and in the thing with comps is like really with the belt system you should be at a similar level theoretically your weight's the same your size should uh, your strength should be within the same ballpark and it's like if you're at a gym and you've got purple belts at your gym and you're a white belt then you have harder roles than this dude's going to give you that's the theory behind it so it's like it really shouldn't be that big of a deal but it it really is like a the ultimate fear of the unknown because you just really don't know what these guys are sort of going to bring to you so, and I mean, I've had comps where I'm like, all right, I'm, I didn't listen to music the last comp and I just didn't feel amped up. So I'm going to listen to the most gangster shit I can and be hyped as fuck. And then I'm like, I'm like fucking bouncing my head around and I'm all hyped up, take my headphones off. It's quiet. There's nothing there. And I'm like, fuck, I just, just spent half an hour with headphones on trying to make myself fired up, but it's, you take them, you can't fight with that shit in your head. Well, if you don't do that before you train, why are you doing it before you compete? Mm. See there you go. That's that psych major shit. I don't know that shit. I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm not that guy. You get amped up, you're gonna gas out very quickly. Mm. Another good thing is some people compete without warming up. I feel like I do sprints before I compete. About 20, 25 minutes out, 20, 25, 30, and then I want to feel the exhaustion at least one time before I compete. Mm. And then I feel like I don't get the adrenaline dump when I go out there as much. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I've struggled with is like. Um, just the warm up thing and I hate like every time I've won a comp I've lost the first roll yeah and had a chance to come back and, and win and I fucking hate that you just don't you like this comp tomorrow like if you, you lose you lose and I really hate that that's like a thing and I because I struggle to warm up at the start nerves wise and I'm like well, what the fuck do I even do like do I do a couple hip escapes like you know you gotta get breathlessness I think you think that that's the move then and so sprints are what kind of helps you do that what else do you do that you found that calmed nerves or got you in the right headspace like are you a guy that thinks about you know I'm gonna do this particular guard pull then I'm gonna go straight to this and if he does like are you I have a loose game plan but nothing too specific no yeah and I guess that comes from being well rounded too right yeah, yeah, I think so. Unless obviously my opponent's got a, a glaring weakness that you want to exploit. But apart from that, no, I don't like too specific a game plan because if it goes poorly, it goes very poorly. Mm. And then if you've you're got game, no room yeah, to if you're like, I'm going to come out, I'm going to pull Delaheva guard, I'm going to do this sweep, and you come out and he pulls guard, then you're flustered, you're behind the eight ball already. Mm. Yeah, no, that yeah, it makes sense. Did did Lockie have much to do with like the? any of the mental side or like did you see him as like a mentor when you sort of first got there and like really because I, I honestly see like similarities in your mannerisms and stuff and obviously um it comes from just how much time you guys would have spent together over the years right but did you see him as like that mentor sort of figure or uh yeah yeah for sure for sure he was doing what i wanted to to do with my life you know what mm. i mean in terms of competition i didn't think anything other than build me up confidence wise to make you believe you're on that level yeah okay so like having a guy that was as high level as him and then you're in the gym giving him a hard time and that's like a guilty by association feeling to where you kind of pictured yourself being on that level yeah well i mean you trust their opinion if so if some random white belt's telling you you're amazing you're gonna beat this guy and stuff you're like you know what i mean but mm. if uh if someone that's beaten high level guys is explaining to you and train with high level guys explaining to you you're on the level then it means something entirely different mm. 
yeah you can actually it's worth something because it's substantiated exactly yeah 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 it's a crazy it's definitely like a crazy game to play and i it's it's like that the accountability of like being on that mat and you know there is that thing of like everybody watching there's obviously like the the element of getting hurt and and everything that kind of comes along with it too so it's i think that's maybe one of the things that has been so interesting to me is the it's just shit you can't really prepare for and i mean have you ever thought about what it must feel like to be conor mcgregor like with how the nerves and the stuff that you deal with for a jiu-jitsu match that like realistically no one's fucking watching like can, yeah, you, he, can you imagine what he's going through yeah he's, he seems to thrive off it though he loves it right mm. do you think that that's a personality type or is that a uh psychological mastery i think it's uh a bit of both but i think he's been planning these moments for his entire life i mean i remember he was speaking with um before he was even famous he'd speak with a pen in his mouth so that when he would approach American audiences, he would speak in a language that they could understand. So, like, this has been his intentions for a very long time, I think. Mm. You know what I mean? He's been building up to these moments. Where do you think that comes from in a person? Uh, I guess it could come from a lot of places, but, like, you obviously we see him in interviews. Like, where do you think it comes from in a guy like that? It's hard to say. Hey, it's hard to say what motivates him. If you look at his Instagram, it's just be money, right? Like, yeah. But that's not what it is, because he's got money. Right? I hear stories about him. The SBG guys were telling me that he shows up to the gym sometimes midnight, 1 a.m. to train. They say that about Floyd. They reckon Floyd is like that. Because even Floyd, like, it can't be money. I mean, fuck, I could see Floyd blowing a lot of money, though, to where, like, he probably looks at his account and goes, like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll fight again. But yeah. I guess it's, like, fuck, it'd be so hard to say no. Like, imagine if, like, even if you've got half a billion dollars in the account someone's like dude just one more fight you get 300 million bucks be pretty hard to say no to that right like that's some pretty fucking serious money I don't think you'll get another fight like Connor though hey you don't yeah there's real like who else would he fight I think Connor's like the ultimate fire and ice thing for him that'll probably be one of the biggest purses in history hey yeah like I guess it's hard to see but it's like you probably if you think about it in terms of like what did it take to get a Floyd Mayweather? Like, it took 49 fights, undefeated, Money Mayweather, fucking, he was pop culture, people would sing and rap about him. Like, he really crossed the boundaries unlike any other boxer ever. Like, even more than, like, maybe Mike Tyson, but it was different. Like, there was something that was different about him. And then you can say the exact same thing about Connor. And it's like, to, to have those two people in two separate totally separate world in something that's never happened before yeah and then they come together like it'd be super hard to replicate that now, yeah now if an MMA fighter jumps to the boxing ring we've seen it before it's always gonna be the sequel the only crazy thing would be if Floyd jumped in the cage but he never would can't do it he'd just get fucking murdered it'd be yeah, that'd be bad I, but talking about how much money boxers make it just sucks I saw Canelo got the highest paid sporting contract in history the other day really? he signed a five year deal with um Dazzin, that TV network, it was worth like $350 million. <laughs> Fuck, dude. It's, we're living in a weird time with sport to where, um, like, do you follow the NFL at all? No. Dude, I'm fucking all about that shit. <laughs> I, I didn't, because I was in the States for like seven years, and for the first four, I was just like, fuck all of you. 
Like you guys are pussies. This is some this is some bullshit. And I every every fucking barbecue I went to, like I was that guy that was telling everyone how shit it was and how how good rugby was. And uh, and then it was like four years of that nonsense. And then I I started dating a girl that her dad was like hard fucking core. Like Thursday night was football. Saturday was college football. Sunday was um, the NFL. Then there was Monday night football. And then on Thursday, that cycle started again. So I know I was just like, I ain't coming in here with this bullshit. So I had to sit down and pretend to like it for fucking however long it took. And I really started to like it because not even just for the game, man, but for like the accessories that are around the game in terms of like the athletes and like they've all got their own crazy brands and like basketball is the same over there too i just think black people have like way more swag too like just kind of across the board they can do more uh but it was like it was crazy to watch you get sucked into a sport for like all the auxiliary shit that went around around it and there's a dude called uh odell beckham i don't know if you've ever seen him he's like the guy with like the white hair and uh he's just a freak does all like the crazy one-handed catches like his highlight reel is ridiculous. You'd be like, oh, that's a, that's a computer game. But he signed a... Um, I can't remember the deal. It was like 96 million bucks for like three years. That's and he's, crazy. And yeah. he's like 23. But it's like his stat... So that made him the highest paid wide receiver of all time. But his stats don't reflect that. But what reflects that is like if you've, you listen to Drake, obviously. Like that's the dude that Drake raps about all the time like he's become like this pop culture dude yeah so they'll pay it so they get the fans in the seats hey yeah and it's like that's a that's a different time like before we were just paid off stats and i think that now you're seeing that in every sport and like that whole social media thing we were talking about where it's like you know you really can see like money come off money come out of social media it's like sport now seems like it's way more than just the contest itself. Oh, for sure. I mean, in jiu-jitsu, there's a lot of uh, black belt world champions that I see post on Instagram looking for seminars, asking for seminars. Mm. I mean, if it was based off stats alone, I shouldn't be getting any seminars. You know what I mean? So it's like if there are black belt world champions struggling to make money in this sport, then they're not utilizing all the tools available correctly. Yeah, and there's this new thing, right? Like people always ask me about like... um, what's the next big thing what's like what's gonna be is it video games is it um esports is it like is mma just gonna keep being like the biggest fucking sport or whatever and i honestly think that we're in this like really weird place where we like fucking watch people like that's what we do now we just watch people like that um cash me outside chick oh yeah we just fucking watch her. I, I ran into her in a mall in America. Are you serious? Yeah, me and my friend ran into her in LA somewhere. But she's always at the Grove. Was it at the Grove? I can't remember, but I remember we were in a store and there was she was there with a bodyguard and Big she motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, she went in and paid for a couple little girls like complete outfits and shit. We didn't know who it was. We tried to go get a photo with her, but she wouldn't take a photo with us. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like that chick, like. She's worth millions now, right? And we just watch her. Like, it's... And now, like, do you follow much, like, rap? Like, what music are you into? Yeah, rap, hip-hop. So, like, you look at a dude like Takashi 69 right? Like, his music is actually pretty sick. I'm ashamed to admit that. Like, I listen to... It's funny shit. what starts out as painful to listen to that you can grow to enjoy. It's 
crazy. But what I wonder is like, is that um, just because we enjoy like the whole theatrics of like what he's got going on, like he's got these crazy fucking grills, he gets these face tattoos that we're all like, holy shit, like this kid's fucking crazy. Then he's talking mad shit on like everybody. And it's like, you want to not watch because intellectually like this is straight retarded. Like, what the fuck are we looking at? But you, it's like that car crash. Like, you want to look away, but you can't. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And it's like, the music is secondary to that. And it's like, I feel like that's what's almost happening in sport to, like, a small extent. Like, you've obviously still got to be good enough to pay the bills. And, like, if AJ Agazam, for example, was, like, completely dog shit, then it's like, and he's talking all that shit, like, people aren't going to pay attention. But the fact that he is good and then does all that it's like that's the it's like the brand that we're following now it's like we're subscribed to a a channel and it's this AJ Agazam channel and because you watch him all the time yeah, it's like he's your first story yeah it's like this self yeah it's it's a weird world right and I think that is like the next best thing and you look at like Logan Paul like people just watch him and now he just sold 5 million pay-per-views on a YouTube buy on a YouTube fight yeah, I mean, I, I that's sad because it's like uh, I don't hate it because it's like obviously let let him make money, but hopefully it doesn't overtake real sports. Mm. But I guess yeah, you never want to. But pay, like, what is real sport? You wouldn't want to pay Logan Paul to what play NFL, would you? No. But you'd want to watch him fight. So <laughs> I guess that's the yeah, that's the only thing there. But I hopefully yeah, I mean, celebrity boxing match has been around forever, but none like this. Mm. None like and they like actually trained and shit. And you know what? He looked pretty good, really. For he wants an MMA match as well, right? I'll probably give it to him. See, it works. See, we talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that's like that is the next thing. And even like, um, who was the dude that did that um, that stand up thing? Maybe it was Chris Rock, and he's like, "Love rap music, tired of defending it," because <laughs> it's like it's fucking. And like, have you ever been in a club? And you see like that, move, bitch, get out the way. Or it's like, my neck, my back. Like, it's just the most disgusting shit. That like, if you walked up to a chick in a mall and were like, hey, I want to lick your back, your neck, your pussy, and your crack. What the fuck kind of reaction well, would that Yeah, get? well, I always want to, I always imagine the the crazy feminists out there. I always imagine they still dance and listen to around music. Dude, <laughs> dude, 100%. I, I fucking see these chicks I, I want to catch a video of them dancing to it or something I had a chick Thursday night and I've been I've been wanting to talk about this and I fucking haven't talked about it this chick we were at a at a club and one of our friends was talking to a chick right and then she said something about a protein shake right and then our friend who's drunk and trying to fucking hit on her is going like oh I could give you a protein shake oh <laughs> And then this fucking full-blown, like, quintessential, cliche feminist chick turns around. She was at the booth behind us. And she's like, uh, I think the, the chick had a pretty good comeback and, like, shut my mate down. And we were all like, oh, I got him. <laughs> and, uh, and then this feminist chick turns around and she was like, you fucking tell him. Like, just spray, dude. Like, full-blown spray. And I was looking at this chick and I was like, fuck, she's, that's the stereotype. Like, that's this world like feminism exists because of you like you're the fucking thing and then it was like 10 minutes later she's white girl wasted and she's dancing to that fucking pony song ah uh, yeah and I'm like 
All right. Here's the thing. The dude that wrote that fucking song. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> dude, it's so... But that's like... That seems like everything these days. It's like... The bad thing about social media is it almost like rewards people's negativity, right? And it's like... Or have you ever been with a chick where you're not giving her enough attention so she'll start a fight just to get attention? She'd rather have a date kind of attention to where it's like just you and her. Right, and I have negative attention than no attention, yeah. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's probably a big part of psychology, I guess. But like, I see that shit all the time and I think that that's what this whole thing that we're doing with this feminism and like hardcore vegan activists and hardcore, insert hardcore fucking anything. It's like, I'm not getting attention from, not getting good attention and I'm not getting attention at all. So like, let's just get some bad attention and fuck it it's attention for sure it's crazy that that's a thing but it's like social media has like allowed that to be a thing now yeah it's it's yeah it's but i mean it's put you in control of it you don't need anyone else to censor anything that goes up Mm. do you you don't seem like the kind of guy that really censors a lot of the stuff that like you've got going on but I guess you just aren't really posting that much shit in general yeah yeah, I wouldn't put anything too political online Mm. you know what I mean it just alienates you know what I mean yeah and I mean you can't judge a person solely on their views too so it's like you could I guess alienate people that otherwise would never have a problem with you yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah so I mean it's probably a good way to be it's fucking fun though to be a troll yeah. Have you ever done any troll moments? Um, sometimes, sometimes. Because I can't say that with Pal Harris you were trolling. That was just pretty funny. And a lot of you were like reposting shit that people were saying, really. Yeah, yeah. Reshare. Hopefully share their memes. They create more memes. Yeah, yeah. If anyone shares a good meme about me, I'm going to post it for sure. Even if it's uh, negative towards me. Is it? Do you think that you're just so laid back that like maybe something that would like get under somebody's skin which then like gives them that reaction that then creates like the follow on do you just think that you're I too late back to kind of give a fuck yeah I just appreciate it because growing up we would say the most brutal shit to each other you mm. know what I mean that's why I, I don't understand people that are so sensitive you know what I mean did, mm. did you grow up in a pure childhood like did your friends never pick on you and stuff like I think you should say the worst things to your friends things that uh, insulates them from getting offended by other people well that's like people that like won't let their kids watch a scary movie or something until they're like 15 and then you're the kid at the fucking sleepover that doesn't want to go to sleep because you're scared of the dark after your mates all made you watch a horror movie it's like that yeah like that insulation thing eh? you don't want to be too protected yeah and I but it is that there is just like that reward system for getting pissed off and because there's always someone like when you're pissed off all you want is someone else to be pissed off with you yeah if someone insults you and you get angry you've validated their insult mm. you know what i mean yeah like that's the reaction that you were looking for yeah dude i remember even like uh like people come to my house and it's like have you got to get out of your scene or i think i gotta go lift weights isn't it down there getting fucking swole <laughs> yeah I better train it I gotta rehab injuries but I won't say what injuries oh yeah 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 when, so when's your next thing we'll wrap it up it's the, uh, the Keenan thing in December Keenan December yeah December 9th in Wales let's talk some shit come on let's go let's talk some shit about Keenan fuck this guy <laughs> oh, wait. Keenan's you another know what? one He's I'm gonna cancel my fucking Keenan subscription there you go 
Tim uh, disappointed you no. had one. <laughs> <laughs> nah, come on, talk some shit. It's hard. It's Kenan's hard to talk shit cool about Keenan. Keenan's, yeah, he's a funny guy. He's a fun guy. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you just like it? Make a trailer out of this shit. He's a fucking super nice dude. What way do you, like, I guess what way do you see that fight going? Uh, different to the first one. I'll, I'll come in with a, I guess, I'll mix up the game plan a bit for this one. Mm. But we got, we got a solid 15 minutes to work. But 15 minutes ref's decision. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting rule set. Obviously, it's not like Gordon and Keenan. They had like a 90-minute match. That was gnarly, dude. I'm about... 15 minutes is about the limit now. I don't want to do any more matches over 15 minutes. Why is that? Because if someone hasn't displayed better technique by by 10 minutes, then it's just the the guy with better cardio. Yeah. And usually when a guy gasses out and gets submitted, I mean, we're not that impressed by that anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe a clutch moment where they're both still fighting, but when a guy's just like, oh, I'm dead. Yeah, well, all right, we'll wrap it up. We've done two hours and ten minutes. Craig Jones, I am, uh, yeah, I'm glad you made this happen. This, like I said, this was like a super selfish podcast. So <laughs> very sorry for all those people out there that don't play fucking Z Guard or <laughs> give a shit about any of what we talked about. There will be more Gypsy Tales. Uh, and actually, tell people about your seminar. My seminar? Ah, uh, sorry, not seminar. You I, camp. I got a camp. Yeah, two weeks in Thailand. Uh, there's still places available. November fourth, all on the Absolute MMA Thailand website. Other than that, DVDs are available, uh, and you can find, can find me on Instagram. Most of my social media is on Instagram, basically nothing else. And I will tell from personal experience, I obviously haven't been to Craig's camp. I went to Lockie's camp. There was a couple months ago. Any level of athlete can get a lot out of uh, a camp that's a week long with world-class instruction at a great facility. I think that there's something to be said for staying in a resort training twice a day and not actually having anything else in your head than jiu-jitsu and it'll be a wild time last time a guy got arrested and two guys got my name tattooed on them so <laughs> is it gonna be that wild this time probably right i don't know i should be training for the keenan match but we'll find out why did why do you just attract that fucking loose crowd there was none of that shit at Lockheed's camp what, what is it with you what is, what is it with that I don't know. <laughs> you just attract some fucking degenerates. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, fuck Craig Jones, everybody. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, brother. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for having me, man. Sweet. Awesome. Sorry, brother.